does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. And if you want to know how big an event week it is in Indianapolis, Indiana, all you need to know is this. You walk into the Indiana Convention Center, and amongst everybody walking around, who do you bump into but? Hey, it's Dave Calabro. (laughs) That tells you right there. It is the heaviest of heavy hitters that are joining us here at the NFL Combine 2024. The Combine is upon us. Good afternoon to you. My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook here as well who is trying to privately hide the fact that he's wearing all Kansas City Chiefs gear underneath his clothing here. Uh, But we are amidst essentially Radio Row. This has gotten bigger and bigger every year. And, yes, we're going to talk plenty about the fact the Pacers in action tonight taking on Zion and the New Orleans Pelicans. Indiana getting a win that was much needed for them. What does it mean for the Hoosiers? We'll talk about that over the course of today as well. And then just the combine, what it means, what's going on, what's happening here. And, listen, open admission, I am always a cynic about the Combine. I've always kind of joked about it because at this point, I mean, it has become a massive event. You have essentially every team with their own individual media outlet, media teams here with their own tables, their tarps, their banners, everything set up. So it is cool for the city, and obviously all of the prospects that are going to be going through the NFL draft, the vast majority of them will be here to meet with teams, get interviewed, get x-rays make sure that all the medical areas of question are good for them and that's really the big thing that takes place here i don't know how much they pay much attention anymore to how many times a guy jump ropes in 30 seconds and that kind of thing but we'll talk plenty about it we got a loaded show for today again my name is jake query eddie garrison back in studio and jimmy cook here alongside me as i mentioned and jimmy uh, let's begin with this before we get to the roster of guests that we're going to have today including halfway through the show Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Colts, we will carry live his question and answer session here at the Combine at approximately 1.30, where he might talk about some of the things that the Colts are looking at. But let's begin last night at Assembly Hall. You know, you can there are a million jokes that write themselves about <laughs> fires and hot seats and dumpster fires and the fire alarm going off at Assembly Hall and vacating. My understanding is... It was smoking an elevator shaft, I believe. <laughs> That's what I saw, too. Um, and so they eventually evacuated Assembly Hall. But in the end, Khalil Ware, we have known, is a very gifted player and a five-star level player coming into Indiana off of transferring from Oregon. The question was going to be about, be about his energy level and whether or not he had the energy level necessary at this, you know, in the Big Ten. Uh, that was probably his best game as a Hoosier last night. Yeah, I mean, he showed once again why he was a top target for Indiana in the portal over the course of the offseason and I know that this is hard to do especially in today's society Jake where especially a program like Indiana where the expectations at least from some sections of the fan base are what they are and they're clearly having a down year but a player's individual play especially as consistent for the most part as Ware has been shouldn't get lost on that once the final buzzer of this season sounds here in a couple of weeks. Absolutely dominant last night. Makes his first eight shots, 11 of 12 from the field. Gave my 27 points in just 38 minutes. He has been the one, whether it's just scoring, whether it's rebounding, he has been the one aspect of this team that 
you can count on a nightly basis. I guess you could include Malik Renew in there every now and again, and Mackenzie Mbako has flashes, but where has been the one piece that makes you really live with regret of, boy, if they had high-quality guard play, maybe this team would be what some envision them to be going into the season. Now, that said, they also have last night, which should be noted, even though it's too little too late, the shooting finally showed up, right? They have probably their best shooting performance of the season last night against Wisconsin. Yes, it took a fire alarm <laughs> stoppage to be able to, whether you want to say it ended momentum or it helped Indiana or it didn't help Indiana. Either way, they find a way to outlast and win that game. My biggest thing, though, yes, I tipped the cap to wear, but it's going to be – it'll be more disheartening for me than it will be positive if let's say they close on a four-game winning streak and they miss the tournament, I will look more back with regret from this season with Indiana of why couldn't this have happened a month ago if this is indeed a turning point for them. Yeah, listen, I thought Wisconsin had really good guard play towards the the second half, but Indiana defensively was able to really kind of clamp down on things, which I think was a big difference for them first and foremost, right? That was – that led them, obviously, to get some closes down the stretch. I, I think the biggest thing is this, Jimmy. For Indiana, you can certainly have the discussion, the debate of what that win means for them and what it does for them. And the reality is probably not a lot. It's not like if even if they won out, they're going to make the tournament. They have no road wins to speak of. They have no real quality wins. I guess that would be the best one. Um, but it does save face a little bit. You could tell that the crowd, the students in particular, I thought they were going to rush the court, to be honest with you. But Those that were there. That's right. <laughs> You're right. Um, I saw a bunch of empty pictures on, uh, on Twitter. Apparently the rest of them were smoking in the elevator. But, <laughs> but I think it was good for Mike Davis, and, his, and I really mean this. I think Mike Davis needed that win because I think the losses and the pressures were starting – excuse me, not Mike Davis um, – Obviously, Mike Woodson. Yep. I, I think Mike Woodson, for Mike Woodson, he needed – I was looking at Charles Davis next to me there. Sorry about that. <laughs> Who's going to join us on the program, by the way, Charles Davis at 1255. Um, I think Mike Woodson needed that because I think psychologically it was starting to – you were starting to get the, the, the outward look of the fact the pressures of the losses were weighing on him. And we did see that with Mike Davis late in the Davis tenure where you could see with Mike Davis where when, before he left Indiana – where they were at the point of no return. And it just kind of got to a point where no matter what happened, psychologically, he was kind of past it all, and so were the fans. And I don't think it got there with Woodson, but it was teetering close. And if they'd lost out for the rest of the year, then I think that would have been a, a real talking point for them. I think for Woodson last night was really big just from a psychological standpoint. Yeah, and it's – for him, yes. Internally, yes. For the program, you don't want to ride an extended skid that closes the regular season loss after loss after loss and then going out like a whimper in the Big Ten tournament. It definitely probably stabilizes things from his seat. And you could tell it from just the way – I know he's kind of always been like this, but you could tell it from the way things were leaking out when he was having his press conferences, right? We played ad nauseum that clip of him taking accountability and then blaming it on his players. Like It's clear that – there were levels of stress tightening down in Bloomington. Look, that's a high-quality win against a good Wisconsin team. I asked for effort. I asked for a little bit of pride. They showed that last night. That said, for me, though, my stance on the direction of the program, the fear of where's the light at the end of the tunnel, whether it's guards, whether it's, oh, they got to come up with 
a heavy play pocket aces in the transfer portal, and then there's no guards in the recruiting class upcoming, where does it get better next year? That question is still not answered for me. And in order for, at least from my seat, Jake, to sit and say, next year I think it's going to be okay because they didn't give up, they didn't fold, one game does not solve that equation for me. If they're going to win out, like not win out, win the Big Ten tournament, but win out the rest of the regular season, win their first round Big Ten tournament game, and it's like, okay, at least they didn't quit, he hasn't lost the locker room, then I'm fine with that. Yeah, but after fair. one game, I'm, I'm not yet willing to jump back and say, oh, well, now definitely keep him. That, that was foolish of us to think that the other day. You know, the other thing that took place last night at the end of the Indiana game, I was watching two things. The first is I was watching to see if there's going to be a court rush and then preparing myself and bracing myself for the really? onslaught of fans from <laughs> Kentucky that were going to make fun of that. And then the second thing that I – was preparing for was to see the Big Ten standings and see where Wisconsin ranked because I remember at the beginning of the year thinking Wisconsin might have been the best foe for Purdue in the Big Ten and then seeing the standings in the Big Ten with Purdue and then Illinois it only showed just how impressive Purdue has been this year and the dominant level of play look I realize the fact that people are going to talk about the the conference itself in the Big Ten and you know where things stand in the Big Ten and how good the Big Ten is now versus, say, the ACC or the SEC or the Big 12, whatever it might be. Bottom line, Power 5 Conference and Purdue has that kind of a sizable advantage. It shows not only how dominant they've been, but how incredibly consistent they've been. And they have not allowed themselves, when they have stubbed their toe, to then have an injury you know, to the ankle come because they're compensating for it. They, they just kept always walking respond. forward and come through it. Yeah, they always respond. They've shown that time and time again. It's why they're viewed as a, in some mock brackets the consensus number one overall seed we'll see how things play out for them but yeah they've been 25 and 3 all year the thing to your point jake and it's a fascinating one on the big 10 and being kind of confused at where the standings are nationally i think the big 10 gets in part downplayed because the usual standard bearers of the conference like for example in the acc it's still viewed as a flourishing conference, yes, because there's some depth there, but also they're real blue bloods of yesteryear and modern year two. Duke, North Carolina are still right there towards the top of the ACC. In the Big Ten, nationally, people know how good Purdue is. They've known this for a decade underneath Matt Painter that they are a standard bearer in the conference. But your traditional names, I know Illinois is up there, but Miss Michigan State is middle of the pack. Michigan's in last. Indiana's had the season that they've had. Ohio State fired their head coach midseason. Some of those brand names in conference alongside Purdue have not filtered towards the top. So you go look at the conference and you're like, oh, Northwestern's up there right. this year? Nebraska's there? Wow, it must be a down year for the Big Ten. Well, it's a down year for some of the quote-unquote powers in the Big Ten, but the conference itself has still been as healthy as ever, and it's a testament to Purdue that they've been able to have a stranglehold on it, and with only a couple of games left to play, they're all but assured the regular season title, and you would expect them to be the ones host, hoisting the trophy at the end of the Big Ten tournament. I, I just think... You know, there are so many te- so many teams actually can look great over the course of a year, and they lose one or two games, and then they get into like just kind of a, a mini slump, if you yeah. will. And the true signs of great teams are ones that never let that never let it carry too far. Now, the one thing for Purdue that I think is going to be interesting to watch down the home stretch here is the simple fact of, and I hate to say it in these terms, what do they do with Fletcher Lawyer? 
And I don't mean that as if, like, he's this detriment of, like, how do you make him disappear? I don't mean it that way. I simply mean Fletcher Lawyer and the fact that last year, even though, if I'm not mistaken, he had a couple of big shots in the the Fairleigh Dickinson game, but if you down the stretch are not getting the consistent outside shooting from Fletcher from outside shooting from Fletcher Lawyer do they make that change and put Gillis into the starting lineup to this point Matt Painter's been very stubborn with that and but he hasn't had reason to basically have to then explain himself because they have not gotten into that many slump. But, Jimmy, it is an area that you have to wonder if they don't eventually tinker with heading down the home stretch. Yeah, it's conversations that I've had both with yourself, with Eddie Garrison, with, with Purdue fans of is that a decision they make? Because when you look at and it's the crown you wear when you're the top overall team in college basketball or one of the top overall teams in college basketball, you're looking for little ways to improve. You're almost nitpicking to some extent. But if anything, you're probably worried in the back of your mind. Fletcher Lawyer was one of many Purdue guards a year ago that were okay to solid throughout the regular season. And then late as the season went on, these three-point shooting woes start to really magnify themselves to the point that you go up against, no one thought it was going to be FDU, but when you get up with a matchup problem with better guard play and a team just going to try to take away Edie and let you beat them other ways, they're going to fold underneath the pressure of it all. Lawyer, to start the first half of this season, it looked like he was, again, one of those guards that had taken that step forward. This was not going to be an issue for him. And now the last, what, four, five, six games, there's enough of a sample size where you point out and you say, would it be best to make him one of the first people off the bench, and as you mentioned, insert Mason Gillison in the starting lineup. I don't feel like one player, especially one of Fletcher Lawyer's caliber, is going to derail what they want to do because of the depth they have at the position. But it is food for thought of with Matt Painter, would there come a time in the Big Ten tournament or beyond where you have to make a tough decision with a guard you're very proud of but you know that maybe his role might be better, different situated than as the starter. You know the funny thing about the NFL Combine, Jimmy? So we are at the Combine right now at the Indiana Convention Center. I'm looking across the way. You've got Paul Allen, who's the play-by-play voice for the Vikings, interviewing Ryan Grigson. That's like 15 feet away from us. Um, You know, the Titans are just in front of us. The Raiders group usually, and and when I was doing the morning show, it was more accentuated. Now, Now that we are... In the midday, the Raiders group should be rolling in here in about 15 or 20 minutes, just getting out of bed. They were the Raiders guys. I think um, those guys fit the bill of being the Vegas Raiders. But having said all that, I, I've always been a cynic about the combine, and the reason why. And I'm going to go back to it, and then, but but there's, I'm going to contradict myself at the end of it with my point. I've said this before. I'll say it again, and I'll say it again, and again, and again. Years ago, the NFL Combine was the world's biggest mystery. It was Area 51. It was um, the, the Bermuda Triangle. It was all of it. Nobody knew what took place. Stonehenge. It's very important stuff. <laughs> now, you go inside. It's, it's extremely limited access. They only, there's only 100 people in there when the players are. It's really important, and it's top secret stuff. And guys can make a name for themselves and make a career by, by what they do at the Combine. That, that was always like the the narrative about the NFL combine and then the combine and, and that grew this legend of it. The combine became this legendary thing. And then the NFL figured out wisely as they do, you know what? We could probably make money off this. So they did like a, a, a two year test balloon of, Hey, um, 
we're going to allow 150 fans in a contest to win the right to come in and see the combine. And like 150 people did. And those 150 people, it was like, yeah, I went in there and it was basically just guys in Speedos running around doing jumping jacks. It was kind of weird. But there was still enough intrigue that then the NFL started selling tickets to the combine. You could, you could buy tickets and go and watch the combine. And when they started selling the tickets, the ticket sales themselves and people visualizing it, people realize this doesn't seem like there's a whole lot going on in here. The true meaning of the combine, the true meaning of it, the true importance of it and the true significance of it are twofold. Number one, because the medical facilities for the Indianapolis hospitals are so close to the convention center, it does allow when you have a player that you are contemplating investing multi-millions of dollars towards and they have had an injury at college or they play like they're playing in a, you know, like compensating for something, you have easy access to send the player over and get fairly immediate results of a deeper MRI, X-ray, whatever it might be. And that is the biggest benefit of here, to make sure that you are getting something like that the warranty still has plenty of mileage on it before you buy the car. That's number one. Number two, I think it is an important time, just like I've always said, like with if you're in a fraternity or a sorority and in the summertime, it's like, I got to go back to school for the weekend for summer chapter. And everybody knows you're not really sitting around talking about whether or not they need like new door hinges on the fraternity house. Everybody's going down there just for a weekend to hang out, party and reacquaint. And to an extent, the combine is that for the off season. It's a chance for everybody to get together, go to the, the restaurants downtown. If you want to talk about trades or rosters amongst teams, you have that opportunity. If you're a guy that's looking to get move up in a scouting position with a different franchise and you've got somebody that you know that's working for a different one, you have dinner with them that night, you talk about it, those things take place. If you've got to get your picture taken with Eddie White, you can do that. You know, there are a lot of things that take place just from a fraternal feeling within the league itself. And then, of course, they televise all of it on the NFL Network, and so it, it is a money-making revenue stream for the NFL. I get and totally understand all of that. All of that said, it is impossible for me to completely dismiss the importance of what takes place here for the following reason. There is some proof in the pudding, and there are cases to be made very safely on both sides of this. But a year ago, Jimmy, I was here at the Combine with Kevin Bowen. We were here during the morning show every morning for the week of the Combine. Ryan Grigson had joined us, as a matter of fact, for one of those days. It was a really good chat. We had several good and fun guests when we were here. But you know what player was the biggest buzz of the Combine a year ago? You know the player that, as we were here at the Combine and all of the players were meeting and doing like their player interviews at the podiums and everything else, the one guy that after he spoke – and people were walking around back over here on the, the team and the media and the radio side that created the most buzz, the most energy, the most chatter. And people were all of a sudden, to a man and a woman, talking about this player who had basically jumped into the scene at the NFL scouting combine. And while he had been on the radar, he shattered the radar. And it was like, that's the guy. And Everyone was talking about it. You knew who it was? Uh, who is Anthony Richardson? No. Oh, man. Good I guess. confident about that. Good guess. Stroud. Locally, locally, Anthony Richardson, yes. <laughs> C.J. Stroud. Correct. 
See, I wanted to go Stroud initially, but then the way you were hyping it up and you remember seeing all the skills on display in the combine records for Richardson, you swayed me there. No. You swayed me. Richardson for sure cemented himself as a top four here. But part of that is because the Colts were drafting after Carolina and Houston, so the, and everybody knew the Colts needed a quarterback. So it was just a matter of – so. Everybody knew that Richardson or Levis, one of those two, was going to go in that spot. It was a matter of which one. Stroud, on the other hand, was when C.J. Stroud came in here and said, I'm a ball placement specialist, and the confidence that he showed and the way that he conducted himself in the interviews and the way that he carried himself yep. at the combine and the way that he did everything in the intangibles in his workout, all of a sudden people were like, look, this is not just an Ohio State product guy that was throwing because he was going to good receivers and playing with an elite offense. This is a guy that is a guy and can be the guy, and that's exactly what he looks like now, and I think to a lot of people, any question they had about that was cemented right here at the combine. Yeah, you get the opportunity to state your case to the NFL world why you belong and that was a soundbite that could have gotten lost in it had he had a bad year but he didn't he proved that it wasn't just a phrase he was using he was a ball placement specialist for the majority of the season for the Houston Texans it's why they won the south and it's why they were making the playoffs underneath the rookie quarterback and what was largely still thought to be a rebuilding year for the Texans. A couple guys that know a lot about the AFC South going to join us over the course of the next hour or so. Charles Davis, J.P. Shadrick, both scheduled to join us here live from the Combine. And then at 1.30, we will bring you live the comments from Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts. All of it coming to you live from the Indiana Convention Center here for the NFL Scouting Combine 24. You're listening to it on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Eddie Garrison deciding to play the greatest band ever assembled. Would you say this is their signature hit, Jimmy Cook? Yes, I would. JMV's here. John, what would you say is the signature hit of Guns N' Roses? Sweet Child of Mine. As far as... You think it is Sweet Child? Globally known? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to argue that. The only two that would be in the mix with that would be which? Um... Welcome to the Jungle. Yep. And I'm also talking about, they had, these were involved in films too. Welcome to the Jungle was in the Deadpool before I even hit that film, The Deadpool. Right. With Clint Eastwood. And um, Not Sweet Child of Mine has had, spent many decades. I think it, so. it probably is Sweet Child because <laughs> that was the first Patience is on through, right? that list somewhere. Maybe third on the list with Patience. Not okay. to be confused with Deadpool with Ryan Reynolds. Different film. Yeah, it's very, yeah, 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 very yeah. different. Yeah. This was a dirty, hairy Deadpool <laughs> right, thing right, right here. How about Paradise City? Um, it's probably there too. It was in what was that uh, late '90s teen romp film um, with uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt Ooh. in it? Yeah, I ran into Jennifer Love about. Hewitt by the way at the Pro Bowl and the, the Liquored Up Kicker Pro Bowl, whatever year that she had was. Skills. Jennifer Love Hewitt. I was in Aloha Stadium and I was looking for the restroom, and she had sang the national anthem. And oh. I turned the corner and literally ran over Jennifer Love Hewitt. That, that nice. came out the wrong way, Can't didn't it? Can't Hardly oh, Wait was that film. Whatever happened to her? I don't know. Didn't she do she some was, kind of 911, Rescue 911 on CBS or something? She, or on was, Fox? she was huge for a while there. Are, are you guys not talking about what a glorious day it is down here today? This is so much fun. Well, we're used to not talking having windows, GNR? so that's not adding different. Talking about Jeremy Fowler's video. outfit over there? <laughs> I'm telling you. What percent of guys, what percent of guys walking around here yeah. are wearing like 
early 90s looking sweatsuits with a credential around and just walking around going, hey, coach, you good coach? I don't know. Me. Or the final four? I get look in the mirror, I guess. Well, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, Yeah, so that's how I dress every day, though. Okay, bigger, bigger, bigger collection of, like, kind of wannabe authorities (laughs) walking around. This or the final four? Uh, Probably this. You think so? I think. Yeah, probably this. So... Summer League, give it a run for the money. Summer League, there's a lot. There, there's, yeah, I, mean, I can see that. It's another NBA. Coach, you good, Coach? Hey, Coach, you good? Yeah, yeah I'm yep, good, Coach. Yep. All right. Well, J&B is going to be coming up at 3 o'clock. I get to sit here for two and a half more hours. <laughs> this is fun. Hey, they got food three down hours there, man. Shane Steichen's sick today, so he can't come on the show. Okay, so you were here to do Shane Steichen, I'm right? I'm here to do eight minutes of Ian Rappaport. Now, That's the, the only last, reason I'm here. In the last two weeks, have you seen Shane Steichen? And by that, I mean I have, any chance that, that your, your, your sickness I have was not. passed along I had like 95 questions ready to do a 10-minute <laughs> interview. So, yes, and that is – but – it doesn't look like I'll be here tomorrow or Friday the way that it stands right now. So we shall see. Guys, return to the proper programming here. All I'm right. That, right over here. That proper yeah. programming, by the way, Zion Williamson, New Orleans Pelicans, New Orleans, New Orleans Pelicans in action tonight. Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Uh, Eddie Garrison has reminded us here it is a 7.30 tip tonight, right? Because that game has been picked up on national television, correct? That is correct. That is correct. correct. So 7.30 tip. Tonight. What we don't know is whether or not Aaron Neesmith is going to be there, right? Yeah, that's still up in the air. I mean, it's basically been still the shin and leg injury that he's been dealing with since before the All-Star break. And that's the biggest – setback's not the right word, Jake, but that's the biggest thing about this team right now that feels incomplete because post-Pascal Siakam trade, Tyrese Halliburton was dealing with an injury. You've shipped off Buddy Heald, and now – Aaron Eastman's dealing with an injury or has been since the All-Star break. You've yet to really see this team with all their key pieces together since they've acquired Siakam, which is why it's so hard to fully assess what they are. Like we talked about it yesterday, have they already established the team they're going to be the second half of the season? I would argue no, because you still have yet to have a complete unit with all the bells and whistles and tools and tricks that Rick Carlisle wants a part of this lineup. You know, the the Pelicans are an interesting one because – when I was asking that question about, like, what NBA team do you hear the least about in Vegas when I was in Vegas, several people guessed the Pelicans. Jimmy, like, I don't know. You know, look, we know that Zion Williamson is obviously a great player, and they've acquired over the last couple of years the guys, some guys that you've got to really keep an eye on. But I think the Pacers right now are in a situation where it's it's really less about focusing on who it is that's coming in and more about I think Rick Carlisle he sounded genuinely yesterday with Kevin and Andy like frustrated slash bewildered by just their inconsistency at this point right it's been frustrating for everybody involved and that goes back to the injuries they've dealt with but also I mean look it's hard to say they've been fully inconsistent when prior to that loss they had strung together three straight wins right it looked like that extended through the all-star break this was a team that was going to turn the corner and really hit the ground running to open the second half of the season or the final third as you've called it Uh, new orleans is seven and three in their last 10 and they they have built a nice roster the last couple of years to where they're in the conversation in the west i don't think anybody's actually picking them to go win at all but but they are i mean they're the five seed right 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 now yeah they're in a similar boat really to the pacers and maybe you could make the argument zion williamson is not a finished product the injuries, uh, his ability to stay in shape that has 
plagued him at times, or at least the criticism has been there early in his career. Like, he's having a solid campaign, and really maybe his most complete campaign for the first time over a duration of games that matter this season. For the Pacers, you're hoping that what plagued Indiana for so much of this season, which is coming in the second night of a back-to-back, I'll spare you the acronym, Jake, but the second night of the back-to-back is not going to... You you had never heard that before, before I Derek said it, right? I had not. Since Derek's not here anymore, and I don't have to really hurt feelings, I had not heard it. I had Thank never, you. I had not Thank heard you. it before. So. Eddie, be, be honest. Eddie Garrison, open the mic up. Yesterday when Derek Schultz dropped the Sega Baba, had you heard that before? Negative. So, there you go. I assume huh. that as pulling the exact way you thought it would, and you could ask everybody here, even if they're not NBA people. That is beautiful. All right, go ahead. Uh, but anyway, New Orleans is facing that tonight, right? They just played New York last night, 115-92 win, and yes, the well, Knicks were injury depleted, and gone. But you heard what happened in yes, New Orleans, yes, right? Yeah. So the New Orleans Pelicans last night played, and they were leaving New York, right? So they leave New York. They get up in the air. This happened to me once. And once they get up in the air, they're like, well, we have a mechanical issue on the plane, so we need to go back and park it on the runway and figure it out. Uh, folks, I uh, just want to let you know. Uh, Captain speaking here, we apologize for the inconvenience, but uh, we're just going to get some paperwork on this. Looks like we got the small dent in the front door. We'll get that underway and uh, get back up in the air for you. Looks like a pretty smooth ride, so uh, we'll get uh, back on as soon as we can. So they do that. and Better than an exit road door getting sucked out into the That, that is not advantageous. Right? So they, got, they, they sat, though, for two and a half hours. And then after two and a half hours, they were back up in the air. But they had to leave the plane they were on and board a plane that Golden State had just arrived from. So they got on Golden State's plane, took that, landed in Indy at about 5.15 this morning, got to the hotel downtown at about 6 a.m. So I would assume that there is no shoot-around today for the Pelicans. If there is, it's probably taking place sometime in the next couple of hours. So... Yeah, this is life in the NBA. These are also young, very in-shape guys, but it still is different. than. And that's one of the things you forget about. When people talk about, like, back-to-backs, oh, you know, it's ridiculous. Like, the back-to-backs, they're young guys just go out there and play. Like, you forget about the fact that oftentimes you're playing in a game, you're getting showered, you're leaving that arena, you're getting on a bus, you're going to a plane, and you're flying right to the next city where you play the next day, and you're probably getting in at 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, you might sleep a little bit on the plane, but come on. I mean, eventually that does catch up to you. I'm not, I'm not making excuses. I'm simply, simply offering explanations. Well, and the way the NBA schedule is built now, like people can say all they want, and it's ignorance, but they can say all they want about, oh, these are professional athletes, and they should be able to just go up and hoop whether it's 6 a.m. or 6 p.m., and they should just be able to have 30-point outings and everything should be fine. The reality of it is the way the NBA built the schedule nowadays to combat back-to-backs is they're well enough spaced out to the point that your body's not used to that. Muscle memory matters regardless if you're just a guy at the Y or if you're an NBA player. And when you're putting your body, regardless of how in shape or athletically gifted you are, through high-stress situations in a routine change you're not used to, yeah, it wouldn't shock you to know that, oh, there's a dip for some reason in numbers on the second night of a back-to-back? That's very strange. No, it makes total sense regardless of what level you are playing the sport at. And, Jake, it's all the more reason that if you're the Pacers, lick your chops about this and go take advantage of, pardon the the pun, I guess, of a wounded Pelicans team. Like, they are, 
you'd think fatigued from last night's battle against New York and then all the travels issues that they had, you were going to be the fresher club. Make that matter. Make it matter for once on your end and head on this little three-game road trip with a W in your pocket. By the way, that guy that does the play-by-play for the Vikings, that Paul Allen fella, yeah. um, he, he kind of looks like Mozart. He keeps pointing at us. You know who he looks like? He looks like, um, did you ever see Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? No, I did not. Paul Allen, JMV will, will agree with me on this. Um, John, which, which person in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure does Paul Allen kind of look like? Is it Beethoven or is it Socrates? Socrates. I think he looks like Beethoven. <laughs> John went with Beethoven. <laughs> he kind of does, but he keeps pointing over here. He keeps pointing over and looking at us. You notice that? I, I've not I think he's that, on. No. Do you think he's on to us? You're, more, he, you're more observant. Do you think he... When he looks, When he looks, he looks like he's conducting something. It's very, it's very odd. But he keeps looking over and pointing at us. Here, here he's looking again. He's looking again. Do you see him? Well, maybe it's just... Very his, uncomfortable. I would assume it's just his, his line of sight. Where else is he supposed to look? Just look down at the notes? I think he's just looking forward. Well, I mean, but he's pointing. He, he keeps pointing. Next time he points, why don't you point You know what it him? is? He, he, here's what it is. He thinks that we're with the Patriots. Ah, because we got Patriot Pat because, behind us. Because the Patriot logo is behind us, and, and we don't have a tarp up. And so anybody looking sees the big Patriots logo behind us. He's probably wondering who we are. Yeah, could be. Right? Maybe he's going to wander over here when he goes to break. and That'd be fun. Ponder it. That'd be fun. He's we been g- on the airways before. He was on the airways uh, when the famous collapse happened in Minnesota. Now, I wonder how many people from the Combine will be at the Pacer game tonight. Probably a fair amount, right? Yeah, I would think if you're in Indianapolis and a major market or, you know, a major franchise is playing, you'd want to go see it. So, yeah, I think it'll be a good crowd. Chris Ballard going to talk at 1.30 today. This is, of course, customary for the gentleman. Here, here's Eddie White right here. Let's get Eddie White over here. We'll ask him. We'll ask Eddie. Eddie will know. Let's put Eddie on headset because I got a couple things to ask Eddie about. Eddie White joins us. This is, of course, his his absolute, like, literally, this is Christmas week for Eddie White. So, Eddie, the first question I have for you, I was asking. For the NFL Combine, do you think that the biggest advantage for these teams is, A, the access to medical and to be able to, you know, make sure the warranty is on somebody they're getting, B, to kind of fraternize and, and, and be able to quite frankly network amongst different franchises for maybe even some of the scouting level guys or C, get selfies with you? Uh, it's definitely not C. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I think it's, I don't know what percentage value you'd put on. I guess A, the first one is because th- there are medical things that, uh, I don't want to say colleges hide them, but they may not you know, because if you're a coach at a college well, you want, but you could probably see something on film, can't you have a guy and go, it looks like he's that looks like an ankle. You know, why is he yes. this way? And well, then you, you can don't get know. Better I, I don't idea, know right? if it's. Ev- I don't know if it's one player every year, but I think it's like one player every two or three years. They find something like a heart deal Correct. that has saved someone's life. Correct. That that the college didn't see, and so you, the medical is, is number one. Number two, I think this is sort of like the. Um, that's why the the evenings here are remarkable because general managers are. You know, I can remember Mike Holmgren when he was coach at Green Bay said, "Where can I go to eat where no one's going to see me?" And we send the old Keystone 
Keystone Grill way up north because no one's going up there. Remember the old Keystone yeah, Grill? And now he, season's 52, by Yes, because he wanted to have a meeting with another coach, either talking about a trade or something down the line or free agent or whatever, and he didn't want anybody to see them together. This is the greatest liars game you've ever seen. Anybody lies. I love when the insiders go, I hear the, the Bears. Everyone's telling lies. No one's telling. The smart people are not telling the truth. Bill Poley and Edger and James, example A, right? Nobody even knew the hell we, we knew who Edger and James was. The, the smart teams don't tell you, but there's a bunch of liars down here downtown. But I think the, I think A's the medical is number one. And the thing that's you got to be concerned with, this is, this is crazy. Who's the guy that played out of Boston College that yeah, the Eagles uh, drafted? Mamula, is that right? Mike Mamula, yeah, right. Yeah. I played golf with him in in in, uh, in, the, in uh, Delaware but of at, at, a NASCAR, at a NASCAR benefit charity with Kyle Petty. And I love the drop names. And <laughs> Mamula says to me, he said, well, you're, I said, I'm with Reebok. I live in Indianapolis. He goes, Indianapolis, that's my all-time favorite city. I go, why? He goes, it made me a lot of money. He goes, I was an average college player. I came here. I did really good. He scouted all of a sudden, everything that they did, right? Like absolutely. He looked, he looked at, absolutely. He, he scouted every area of the SAT yes. that he had to master. That's yep. what Gil Brandt said. This is important for the late Gil Brandt, which is this is our first combine ever without Gil Brandt being alive on the planet. Uh, Gil Brandt said, yes, the combine's important for the medical and everything you said, the measurables. Is a guy really 6'1"? Now you find out he's 5'11", all that stuff. But can you got you can't forget, can a guy play football? Can a guy in week 17 in Buffalo make a play to win a playoff game? I don't care if you can jump really high or whatever, but, but the weirdest thing was whether you talk to Bill Belichick, Al Davis, or Gil Brandt, they'll all say one of the most important things, and I still don't understand this to this day, 40 times. 40 times are like the, the, the golden ticket for these characters. Who's calling you? Is that, that me? Yeah. By the way, um, at the Combine, one of the important things at the medical, they found out Eddie White, not his natural hair color, just so you know. No, it but, is my natural hair uh, color. You're going to be at the game tonight? N- no. Pels, Pels no. Pacers. We how have many, the world's greatest postgame show. How many from game. here are going to be over there? A lot, oh, There'll right? be a handful. Yeah, uh, yeah I think because it's a big game and because it's a later start, it helps. The 730 thing helps. Uh, by the way, Chris Ballard talking 130. We will carry that live. We will continue here from the Combine. Eddie, thanks Can we take a by. selfie? Yeah, sure, of course. Absolutely. We'll take a selfie. My, my tan hands and his tan hair all in one <laughs> shot. You're listening to Quarry Company here, 93.5175 The Fan. There we go. There we go, baby. There's a great video on YouTube from Deer Creek in 91, which was the night before my last final in high school. My parents, as proof of the fact that I was the third kid and my parents were totally checked out, let myself, Brad Fields, and Scott McConnell go see Guns N' Roses live in concert the night before and there's a great video of that at the end where some drunk guy gets on the stage during the encore and insists on hearing paradise city and so they play it it's great it was not me so you still have that video of yourself it was not me me in the video i can tell you that i can absolutely assure you that um coming up by the way charles davis 1255 jp shadrick from the jags going to join us about 20 minutes after that then chris ballard 130 today a lot of nfl talk as we're at the combine the 2024 nfl combine jimmy one of the interesting things about the combine um quite frankly and, and it feels like it came faster for me this year than years past like all of a sudden the combine's here but we hear this every year about whether or not this is the last year of the Combine in Indy, and we just kind of never know, right? Yeah, we have a brief window right now, whereas in the past it's been – you knew it was going to constantly be here, and now it's been like one-year deal, one-year deal, one-year deal. For the Combine as it stands right now, for those that don't know, back in January it was announced that the NFL Combine would not only be here – this year, but it's at least here next year in 2025. I'm with Mike Chappell on this, Jake. I think that 
assuming this event continues to thrive the way that it is, perhaps brass out in L.A. gets what they wanted and it goes out there one year and then it's a nightmare and they realize, well, the infrastructure is here in place in Indianapolis is perfect for this event and it comes back. That, that's, that's the biggest maybe question mark for me in terms of the future of this event, but we know it's at least here till 2025 and if it eventually does leave, Jake, it's like it's like something you love, right? You got to let it go, and if it comes back to you, it was meant to be. That that might be how it is in no. Indianapolis in the combine. I mean, you may be right. I, look, there are obviously other markets that are dying to get it. Sure. First and foremost, Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones, with his own, you know, he has been open about the fact that he would like to see the combine go to. I think any of the owners would like to see it go to their city. They get a revenue off of it. Jim Mercer makes a lot of money off this, I would assume, because he gets 40% all non-football revenue, Colts game day revenues at the stadium itself. And the NFL would obviously be renting out Lucas Oil Stadium. Um, but, you know, the, the Cowboys would love for it to go down there. Jerry Jones is building facilities and hotels and everything all around his stadium in order – to facilitate for that. I think Jerry Jones, quite frankly, one of the obstacles that he may have in trying to get it is the challenge of the way Jerry Jones is perceived by a lot of other owners. I don't yeah. know that. That's kind of a gut feeling. I think rotating it would be a mistake, though. Like, I get the draft. You can basically pop that up and still have, like, a staging area for players and a green room and a walkway. We joke about the combine, but there is a science to the setup Indianapolis has. I don't even mean just the, the tunnels and, and the area where you never really have to go outside. I mean the event schedule from staying here to going to Lucas – it's a formula, and I worry if you try to do it every year, you're going to have more and more complaints if you're the league if you go Dallas one year, right. Los Angeles I mean, I another. I would think Las Vegas, L.A. is certainly in the mix, and I would think Vegas is yeah. in the mix as well, yeah. right? Because for Vegas, you know, you – everything – listen, I was just there. I mean, it is amazing. Uh, amazing. Allegiant Stadium is right there. I mean, it's right next to – it's on the other side of the interstate from the Strip, but it's right there. It's not like it's out in – the burbs, but I would think that Vegas probably has, you know, certainly they have the hotel space, no doubt about that. Yeah. What I don't know is certainly the medical access, things like that, how close that is. Uh, Charles Davis, of course, longtime analyst for the NFL. You hear him on Madden, right, along with yes. our friend Brendan Gordon. Uh, CBS NFL analyst Charles Davis going to join us, talk about the Combine. That conversation is next as we are live at the Indiana Convention Center, Combine 24. You're listening to Aquarian Company, 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Rock and roll all night is what the New Orleans Pelicans had to do last night en route to Indianapolis. Major, major travel snafus leaving New York. No fault of theirs, but they had a problem with their flight. After sitting on it for a while, they deboarded. They got on a plane that the Golden State Warriors had used to, ru- to arrive into Gotham. They then took off from there, landed in Indy, got to the hotel about 6 o'clock this morning. Good news is I guess they get an extra hour of sleep because the game, at least 30 minutes, because the game tonight, 7.30 tip now due to national television. Pelicans and Pacers at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. We are at the Indiana Convention Center right down the street from there. Jake Quarry along with Jimmy Cook. This is NFL Combine coverage for 2024. Charles Davis, NFL Network, going to join us shortly, and we will talk about kind of the national perspective in terms of what not only is expected for Indianapolis, but maybe what some of the buzzes are. It feels to me, Jimmy, you tell me if I'm wrong, like last year, and maybe it's because the Colts were one of the teams in the mix for like the the quarterback lottery, but 
it feels like last year the top of the draft had much more buzz about it than does this year. I agree with you on the local level, but I do think the caveat you put matters. It's different from our standpoint now because the Colts have jumped the line, or at least they think they have, right? They have the quarterback now. They're not playing this game anymore. They're trying to figure out, oh, do we take Drake May? Or, oh, do we take Caleb Williams? But there's enough buzz, at least, between Williams, May, and then you go to the wide receiver, Jaden Daniels as well, but the wide receiver class, even though Marvin Harrison Jr. is not participating here in any of the football activities, he's going to create buzz because he's a prospect, and we're all counting down to the draft. Malik Neighbors out of LSU, Roma Dunze out of Washington. There's still enough high-level playmaking sexy picks that could be made that create enough buzz, I feel like, nationally. But I do agree with you, from our seats locally, the dynamic changes once you have the quarterback. So apparently the big word amongst the Bears drafting at one going into this draft is that it's going to take a King's ransom for them to move from that pick. And that Caleb Williams appears to be their guy. Although they do have that kind of convenient card of insurance should they need it, of Justin Fields. And that's going to be the interesting thing to see what, which way they go with that, right? Yes. My favorite thing about today is getting all the push notifications when players meet with teams. Jaden Daniels just met that's with right. 10 teams. Jay. That's just right. found that out just now. It's always exciting, right? Nope. Always exciting. Uh, joining us now, speaking of exciting, he is with the NFL Network. I'm sure he's thrilled to be back in Indianapolis. Charles Davis, who knows a little bit about the AFC South as well. So we will begin. Charles, thanks for joining us. I'm going to get right thanks to me. Indianapolis topic of conversation yeah. and not just the city itself, but for you, in looking at it and knowing the NFL, limited sample size, but in your gut, do the Colts have the guy at quarterback that's going to be able to be their guy for a number of years? In my gut, yes, because of your head coach. Because Shane Steichen, I think, is going to understand how to not just develop this young man, but to play to this young man. Right. And that's a big, scheme towards him. I mean, thank you. Yeah. That, that, that's that's so huge. Like coaching, it seems so elementary, right? We always hear about, well, you got to coach to what your talent is, yeah. not what your scheme is. And it seems elementary. And how many times have we run into a guy going, no, that's my scheme. You know, if you guys can't fit it, I can't do it. That doesn't make any sense. I think because Shane Steichen understands that and gets it, and had the conviction with management with Chris Ballard to draft this young man. Because let's yeah. be honest about it. If that's not going to work for you, you've got a chance to get out on that one. You don't have to take him at four. Do you they think did. it was they, they were they were they were all yeah. in to be able to say we can do this? When you look at it, do you think Charles Davis that a year ago that when they had Shane Steichen in place that they said this is a quarterback whose skill set matches the scheme, or did they say we have a coach that can scheme based on skill set because he has that sort of offensive versatility of mind? Yeah, it, it can be both, but I definitely lean towards the latter. Okay. Because you may have to change that as you go along. My best example is Kansas City. Did you ever think we'd be watching Kansas City be a defense run first football team that would win a Super Bowl? Right. Andy Reid? What? <laughs> but they did it, and Andy got his ego out of the way. He said, Spags, your defense is actually carrying me. And Patrick Mahomes, I think, played the best quarterback of his career. And, yes, it sounds like hyperbole because his numbers are so incredible in other places. I'm talking about being a quarterback, understanding your team, understanding the situation, understanding what's going on, understanding my defense is not going to – my defense is taking care of me, so I'm not going to hurt them by playing hero ball and put them in bad spots. He threw his first interception seven playoff games in the Super Bowl, and that was just a bad throw. It was just him now evolving into that person. 
So now I go back with Shane Steichen and understanding who I believe Shane Steichen was having, knowing, having known him in Philadelphia. What do I have? What gives us the best chance to win? Did we draft or build a team around Anthony Richardson in a sense? Sure, right? Because you expect Jelani Woods as a tight end with that big catch radius. Michael Pittman, catch radius. Josh Downs is short, but he separates. That helps your catch radius. And let's be honest about it. Josh Allen has changed how we look at things. Before Josh Allen in Buffalo, if you had said you're going to draft a 57% thrower, what would you have said? You <laughs> right. would have said, guess what? By the end of his career, he's going to be a 58% thrower <laughs> because that's just what the NFL does. The windows are tighter. The coverage is better. The rush is faster. You don't get better doing it. I did his first playoff game. I say I. My crew did his first playoff game, third year in the league. He went from 57% to 60%. He was at 70% for the playoff game. Unprecedented at this level of the NFL. But because he did it, we all go, hmm. Opens the window for other guys, right? Anthony Richardson and, could be the next Josh and, Allen. And the other thing, Charles, that I, that I always felt Josh Allen did, if you look statistically at him at Wyoming, his, his throwing percentage, his completion percentage, was higher before he had a mass graduation of receivers. Yep. And in his last year, he's throwing to newer faces. Yes. So I think that that gave people pause to say, you know what, we've got to look more at totality of work as opposed to a recency bias. Great point. Okay, let's use that. Let's use that one then. Matt Ryan coming out of Boston College, like 34 touchdowns, 19 interceptions. Ooh, that's a lot of interceptions. He didn't have a single receiver off of his last team at Boston College. He even went to camp. Yeah. To your point. So that's you got to look, and now so that's what the good scouting, now Richardson good did have a small bo- a small body of work. Way, way way smaller body of work, but guess what? We're in a different era because you're going to get a smaller body of work now. Remember Coach Parcells' quarterback formula: twenty five yeah. starts. Oh yeah, team captain, X number. Of, you know what I'm talking about, sure. right? Mark Sanchez didn't fit that. He was like 16 starts at USC. He was on the front end of where we are now. Kids are not staying around as long, but then Brock Purdy did, and we didn't know it, but 48 starts meant something. You know who Brock Purdy is this year? It's Bo Nix. That's 60 60 starts in college, 61 starts. It counts for something and multiple, you know, play callers, systems, Auburn to Oregon, different styles of play. Sometimes you can take all that in and it can work. Sometimes it can be too much. Who was that quarterback out of Auburn all those years ago that like eight straight years he had a different coordinator, a first-round pick, and it just never worked? I'm trying to remember his name. I can see him playing his day, and I can't call his name. Well, the first thing that comes to mind when I think of Auburn was obviously – Kind of smaller flash and pan body working Cam Newton, right? That obviously but, but, but worked Cam, out, Cam, right? Cam, I mean, Cam, that, Cam was a big time recruit, got in trouble at Florida, went to JUCO, won a national yeah. championship at JUCO, and then had the one year at Auburn. You're right, small body work. But this was long before Cam. He, he was a first round pick, I think, with Washington. So I, anyway, we'll go back to it. I'm looking it up right yeah, now. You, you research for me, and I would appreciate it. <laughs> I but, will. but he went like eight straight years with a new coordinator, new scheme, new whatever. He never had a chance. That's too much. But on this collegiate level with Bo Nix going with all these different systems and all, you're probably going to do him well because he'll adapt quicker in the NFL. You just hope that he didn't have to do it continually on the NFL. Charles, the biggest thing, Charles Davis is our guest, the NFL Network. You are number 17. The biggest thing with Anthony Richardson, at least, commentary on him last season was. Not Jason Campbell, right? Jason Campbell. That's him. Boom. Thank you, sir. The thought of Anthony Richardson was, is he injury prone? Is that society being the overreaction society that we are or is there real cause for concern there 
I don't have the cause for concern at this time. But you've got to be prepared for it because if he's going to be that big a part of a run game, I don't care how you're built. You know you know yeah. what's hitting you. This is a little bit different, okay? He's going to have to learn how to protect himself better. He's going to have to learn that sometimes getting out of bounds is cool. You don't have to drop the shoulder and take the other hit to show you that you're RoboCop, even though you look like it. He'll learn as he goes along. Look, what's one of the big things we're saying about Jaden Daniels, who's, in, who's not built anywhere close to Anthony Richardson. He's much more slight, but he's such an aggressive runner. One of the things you read in every scouting report about him is, hey, he's got to make sure he takes care of himself because going to this next level, he ain't taking on those cats. All right, those cats, they, you know, it's like, it's like Rocky's old manager. It's like, Mick, he'll knock you into tomorrow. And those windows you think are going to open up for you to get an extra couple of yards in the NFL close a lot faster, right? A lot faster. I'm fortunate enough to be an SEC product. So you know we can be a little bit on the, you know, in football, right? <laughs> we can be like, oh, we've invented this thing, right? But it was true about the team speed. What was a five-yard gain in other conferences is a two-and-a-half-yard gain in the SEC. Right. Yeah. Because it closes quicker. Just so now you get to the NFL. They're faster in the SEC, so it closes even quicker. I also know this. The SEC, no matter who you're playing, you're playing in front of 98,000 fans that have been prepared <laughs> like since it. Wednesday, right? <laughs> either been prepared or consoling themselves from the previous <laughs> That's week. That's right. But either way, That's right. they're it coming is. ready to go. That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> Charles, appreciate it. And enjoy Indianapolis while you're here, right? We'll we look do. forward to talking to you over the course of the year. And, and, and watching thanks for your time. Do me one favor, Charles. Yes. We're good friends with Brandon Gauden. Uh, if they change the kickoff rule, could you guys stop heckling me when I take a kick out of the end zone, please, if they, if they end up changing it? That's all I ask. I will tell you. <laughs> this you're going to like the fact that you're getting new announcers oh really okay brandon and i will still be a part of it but they're going to have a like a three-tiered where you get to choose your own announcers i'll still be picking okay you. Well, about well, that. well we appreciate it jimmy only does the marquee game so he gets you every time <laughs> i appreciate it wait i will tell brandon absolutely and we'll continue to work on not heckling people thanks a lot guys appreciate thanks, it charles davis from the nfl network good stuff there talking about anthony richardson and again you know trying to figure out where the colts are now it's a matter of and you know when he was talking about jimmy i thought it was interesting talking about the receivers you know, look, you got Michael Pittman, you got Jelani Woods. I do think that tight end is still a position in terms of yard after catch tight end that Indianapolis can try to grow. And I do think that when you look at the tight end out of Georgia, they're going to have an excellent opportunity. It's going to be right there for them. It's going to be tempting. I feel like that – and maybe this – I don't know, Jake, if you could push back on this if you think I'm a bridge too far. I feel like if Jelani Woods – and I know that the health issues have been there too, but if Jelani Woods was going to be the do-it-all tight end that would fit perfectly in Shane Steichen's offense, we would have seen it by now. And if Bowers is there – the fact that he already has all the tools, and I trust Shane Steichen to be able to develop him further. If the wide receiver runs already happened, and your choice is a cornerback for Gus Bradley's defensive scheme, or it's an asset for your rookie quarterback, a do-it-all tight end that's going to develop alongside him, I would go Bowers. I would be too tempted by that I mean, decision to not take him. It's interesting because when you look at – it's copycat league, right? Always has been. And when you look at the players right now that are the difference makers in the NFL, you know who are the two best weapons in this year's Super Bowl? Who are the two best weapons in the Super Travis Bowl? Travis Kelsey, George Kittle. Right. Now, I mean, now, Debo Samuel, obviously. There's plenty of weapons on San Francisco, but yes, to your point. At corner, I will tell you this. At corner, there is a guy out of Clemson, Nate Wiggins, that slots right there that a lot of people think – 
would be good for Indianapolis. And I'd be cool with that. I've watched him a lot, right? Watched him every game. Athletic guy. Has really good – I mean, I hate to sound like Mel Kuyper here, but, but you know, he was a good player. Todd, Todd, Todd. He was, yeah, yeah, he was a good player for Clemson, right? Yeah. He was a good player for Clemson. Does that mean that he is a good player in the NFL? I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I can't automatically make that leap from one to the next. But he was a good player for Clemson, and he is athletic, and he has good size for a corner. Look, my thing for the Colts, yes, I've made it clear I want an offensive weapon. But if they're going to go corner, and especially a high-level corner at that position, I'm fine with it. My biggest worry is the Colts have not shown, at least Chris Ballard has not, when he goes for an edge rusher, that it's the high-level set-it-and-forget-it pick that they've been searching for. That, I don't want to see that happen again. I don't want to see another swing in this era on edge. Maybe that's where they go. I've seen them mock to a couple edge rushers here and there, and maybe this is finally the year Ballard's right. I'd rather not take that chance with it. If they make their selection, and make your trade-back jokes here if you want, if they make their selection at 15, I hope it's Bowers or if a wide receiver falls, they go that route. Otherwise, yeah, if they go corner, that's clearly a need. You want a running mate with Juju Brents. Give Gus Bradley the toys that he needs to be high level on that end because Jake, you almost have to. We talked about it last year. It's an arms race in the South. Whether you think Levis is going to be good or not, Trevor Lawrence exists and C.J. Stroud has arrived. You're right. You need to be able to do it on both sides if you're going to finally win the division for the first time in a decade. Hey, the the kids from Tennessee, the Titans, they just got food. I want to know, people from Tennessee, from Nashville, what are they eating in Indianapolis, you think? I'm going to find out. I'm going to find out. We're going to talk Jags as well as we continue talking about the AFC South. They're going to the Eagle. Here. Get some chicken from the Eagle. <laughs> think that's what it is? Yeah. All right, we're going to find out. I'm going to, I'll get that, that riveting answer. And we'll continue talking. Chris Ballard, we're going to play him live when he talks to the media here coming up in about 20 minutes from the Combine on Quarian Company, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Pacers-Pelicans tonight. That game at the Fieldhouse is a 7.30 tip. Indiana last night, a much-needed win over Wisconsin. Khalil Ware was outstanding in that game. And Purdue, obviously, a essentially engraving the trophy Big Ten Championship. Um even though, obviously, last night's game didn't have a lot to do with that. Combine is upon us here, the NFL Combine. Chris Ballard going to talk in about 15 minutes. We will carry that for you live. But before we do so, J.P. Shadrick, who was sitting right next to us, as a matter of fact, as a member of the Jacksonville Jaguars media team, he is with Jaguars.com. He also does play-by-play for Westwood One. He's a native of Birmingham. He went to the University of Alabama, and he does games all over the country. But we're going to talk right now about the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, J.P., th- first off, thanks for joining us. Welcome, hey, Andy. Great to be here, and i got to follow Charles Davis. What in the world? That That's a tough assignment, <laughs> i got to say. Charles is fantastic, but it's nice to be with you guys I, I know i've been on before but it's good to actually see you in person it is but it likewise, is kind of weird and when we do these radio deals yeah. you're like oh that's that guy that's, i didn't yeah. know you looked like that yeah, that's Unbelievable. right <laughs> uh okay let's begin with this i obviously going into the year last year it was thought to be the jags division and then things kind of went awry clearly it seems as though houston has their quarterback in cj stroud indianapolis i think is hoping they have it with anthony richardson when you look at the Jags' season, was that a matter of schematically or roster-wise they misfired on some things, or was it a health issue? Yes. I think <laughs> all of the above combined to, to what happened last year. And it was the Jaguars' division up until about November. I mean, remember, they were 8-3. and three. I mean, they were in first place and had control of it, and then the injury bug bit. Christian Kirk got hurt. 
that was the huge key, I think, to the offense. When they didn't have their safety blanket in, in Christian Kirk, then Trevor couldn't get it out fast. The interior offensive line had issues. The left side of the line was rotating all year long, so he didn't really trust it. And, uh, and Zay Jones was hurt, the other receiver, so they didn't have some pieces on offense. Uh, and then schematically, because of some of those changes due to injury, they had to call it differently. It was a very wide offense. They couldn't get down the field. They couldn't stand back there and pat the ball and get vertical. So it was a lot of quick screen wide, get it out as fast as you can, run when you can. And they, they struggled with that because of the offensive line play too. So it all came together for what you saw at the end, losing five or six. And then the defense had their own issues as well. They couldn't stop the run the last month and a half. Um, they had some injury issues up front. And that all combined. And that's what it is. And I don't know if you could put your finger on one thing. Oh, they're, you know the play calling was terrible. Oh, there's injuries. Oh, the quarterback turned it over a bunch. But all that worked together. You know, one of the things, I think there's a lesson in Jacksonville, though, for Indianapolis and for Colts fans and it would be this and then I want you to tell me if you agree with this the Colts are in a situation Michael Pittman Jr. they're probably going to tag him but I would think they certainly retain him they're going to have the money to go out and get a second wide receiver they have Alec Pierce and Josh Downs but if they were going to go out and get a receiver I think they may overpay for somebody a little bit but I would tell them to look at Jacksonville because Christian Kirk, when he was signed by Jacksonville, seemingly was overpaid. But he wasn't overpaid for the value he brings to the Jags. That was more valuable than where it would have been elsewhere, and thus it was worth it to them. And there's a lesson to be learned there. I totally agree with that. And that they knew what kind of offense they had in their mind and what that type of player could do for the offense. That's why you pay the extra money. And it turned out... It looks like it's a bargain now. I mean, compared to what he can do in this offense when he's in it, when he's sitting on the sideline injured. I mean, that, that tells you what he can do. So, yeah, I agree with that. Now, from the Jags' perspective, I mean, he's still under contract. Zay Jones is going into his last year, but he was banged up a lot last year, too. He's kind of their deep guy, right? Um, and the question is Calvin Ridley. Yep. So, uh, you know, they're having conversations. He was in the office with the GM last week, one-on-one, talking about it, and – if they sign him before the league year, they have to give up a second-round pick to Atlanta. If not, it's a third-round pick. If he goes free or if he's tagged and signed, then it's a third-round pick. But Trent Baalke, the GM yesterday, said, hey, never mind the picks. we got to get the player. And so I think that will be a focus because he went over 1,000 yards. There were two or three games where I don't think the Jaguars win if he's not making some clutch ca- uh, catches. You guys know that, obviously, here in Indianapolis early in the season, uh, first half of that game. I mean, he was all, all over the place. Uh, and he did that a few times. There were other times where he had drops and, you know, ran the wrong way from time to time, whatever, just miscommunication things. It was his first season out there in two years. So I think he's found his legs a little bit. Uh, there's there's still a lot of tread left on the tire with Calvin Ridley. You mentioned that with the Christian Kirk injury last year that that had an impact in derailing the Jaguars' offense to what they wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. But I would think that many in the Jaguars' organization view Trevor Lawrence as the guy as he continues to grow that can offset that maybe better than he did this year. My question in that regard is where does – the offense and the burden of it need to be eased by adding more weapons for Trevor or him continuing to grow year over year into what they think he's going to be? Yeah, I think a lot of the issues with Trevor himself came in game management moments. Red zone, for example. And this has been year over year issue for him. 
uh, you know, getting out of his head when all of a sudden he's the play is from the three-yard line. The, the play is a shotgun. He's got to throw it quick first look to the pylon, front right pylon. That's the play. Well, he would extend it and roll and then throw back into triple coverage and not just throw it away, trying to do a little too much. So, and Doug Peterson talked about that yesterday. You know, as coaches, we need to continue to do a good job of teaching him these situations. He's got to do a good job of listening and, and adjusting to them, and that's going to be an ongoing process because always, he always feels like he can do everything. Yeah. Um, and himself a lot of time, like a, a, a rogue sneak here or there where he's reaching the ball over or whatever that may be. So he's got to calm that down. And, yes, they have to get a little more help around him, keep the help around him on the field, keep them healthy. And, and then, you know, we've seen it when all the full assortment of receivers and things are out there. They, they can go score. And they were thinking going into the season that they were going to be a 30-point-per-game offense. They – said that publicly the coaching staff I and mean, that's a bold declaration yeah they didn't come close but they feel like that is in them if they are out there what are your impressions of the colts like the colts uh i like anthony richardson i, I like his size you I saw like him play a lot in college i'd assume right i did yeah a good bit um i had him in a game they played usf in tampa florida did and he that was the time they had two quarterbacks right so he comes in. He had run for like 130 yards a week before, but he was the backup. They brought him in. First play, okay, you're thinking he's going to run again, right? Well, he's faked the run, stepped back, and threw a 75-yard touchdown, right, right on the rope. Then he ran for an 80-yard touchdown in the game. So he, he has that unbelievable ability, I think. And you guys know better than I would about the um, his accuracy, right? I mean, the I think that can come in time he's got everything else um it it seems like he's got his act together off the field i think safety blanket receivers help with that right oh sure yeah Yeah. if you if you have a guy that can help you right yeah christian kirk's that guy right if you have somebody like that you know he's going to be open evan ingram for the jaguars you know he's going to run the right route and if you put it close he has a big radius to catch the ball and bail you out you need some of those guys and that's okay i mean but i think you're in pretty good hands with, with a guy like him. Uh, J.P. Shadrick, by the way, from the Jags, is our guest. We're going to throw to Chris Ballard as soon as he walks up to the podium here as we are live at the combine. By the way, uh, Jimmy, sweet greens. That's the that's the food that was delivered for the Tennessee ah, kids. okay. I've not had I appreciate your investigative work. They said, be, they said be sure to ask for utensils because apparently they came without forks. <laughs> so I'm just helping out here. J.P., if you need food delivered and you get sweet greens, be sure to ask for utensils. got to have there utensils. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to eat it with my face. That's an important part yeah, of it. We could right? have a race. We could all just go in and <laughs> yeah. just die face first. <laughs> hey, um, in terms of, you know, you were talking about Anthony Richardson, right, yeah. and just his, his development. Um, did the Jaguars kind of offer, I guess, the cautionary tale of, of anointing too early the quarterback. And I don't mean that as a knock on Trevor Lawrence, but my point being, it takes more than one guy, to your point, right? And you've got to be able to build the pieces around. I, I guess the question becomes, and, and you know, we'll still see this once he gets into regular games for an extended period of time, do the Colts have that yet for Richardson? That's a great question. I, From the Jaguars' perspective, when that all went down, he was the number one overall pick. And they didn't have a whole lot in the arsenal else at quarterback. So, hey, guess what? Gardner Minshew was there, and they split the reps during training camp when you realize, oh, wait a minute, hold on. Like, Trevor, 
why? Like, Trevor's going to start. Like, what are we doing? That was the Urban Meyer era and the way it worked. And that was a disaster, right? It didn't work out well, let's put it that way. <laughs> but you knew at some point you got to put a guy that you draft out there and play because the Jaguars didn't have a long-term veteran player ahead of him to play. I mean, they had Gardner Minshew who had played off and on for a couple of years. And that, no, no, no hate to Minshew. I know he's here in, in Indianapolis, but that's just the, that was the situation. So if you had that guy, then maybe you draft another and you have the ability to sit him for a year. Look at what Green Bay has done over the years, right? They draft a guy, they let him sit for two years, and then they move on from the, the next Hall of Fame quarterback. That takes time to build towards that. Uh, from the Jags' perspective, you had to put Trevor out there and play him because there was no real other option. He was the best option they had. And, uh, you know, the first year was a wash. You can't take a whole lot out of that season for Trevor. He got better certainly in year two. Year three was so banged up, he was on the injury report four times. He is still the guy in Jacksonville. And, in, you know, I think he's still the long-term guy in Jacksonville. Could there be enough psychological PTSD scar tissue with Trevor Lawrence that you're reaching the point of, of hard to come back from? No, I think he's passed all that rookie year stuff. Because we've seen all that before. I mean, not yeah. with him. Not with him. I'm saying you can see that with quarterbacks, right? I think there are some mistakes he still makes. I mean, he'd be the first to tell you. i got to stop throwing it in a triple coverage yeah. at the goal line on first and goal to one. <laughs> I, guess what? Okay, well, at some point you've got to stop doing that, and he will. I, I think a lot of that stuff from his rookie year is gone. Uh, he's maturing. He was always a sharp guy to begin with. Um, he, I think he'll have a little more vocal role in this Jaguars offense moving ahead of how it's built and what he wants and how he likes it and how they call it, and I think that's what this offseason is going to be about. Is this the most difficult offseason that they have had taking away the Trevor Lawrence pick aside? By that I mean Ridley and Josh Allen. You figure they probably retain at least one of them, and for listeners, in case they're under a rock, Jaguars Josh Allen, of course. But the Josh real, Allen, the real yeah, Josh exactly, Allen. the real Josh yeah. Allen. Is this the most difficult <laughs> offseason that they've had in quite some time? because of those looming decisions? Uh, I mean, we've had some difficult <laughs> off-seasons where we drafted number one overall sure. twice in a row. So, well, yeah. Um, if this is a problem, okay. That, it's that a good means problem It's a good problem. That means a guy you drafted in the first round is uh, a pending free agent, and you got to pay him a lot of money. That's yeah. a good deal. Uh, I think Josh is not going anywhere. Right. Uh, whether they get it done before March 5th and don't have to tag him, fine. They talked yesterday, apparently, here at the Combine, him and the representation. This progressing, that's a good sign. Um, if they have to tag him, fine, and then they sign him later. Uh, he's not going to He's gonna play for the Jaguars. That, that's going to happen. The, the Ridley thing is the more the question mark. And it was a one-year trial. I mean, they, they traded for him before he was reinstated, and it worked out where he made some plays for them. Do you think it if left he, enough where they want to see more? I think there's some of that there. Okay. Because, like I said earlier, they, they won some games with him that they wouldn't have won if he wasn't yeah. on the team. So, and it's hard to take, you know, it's hard to fill, what, eight touchdowns, a thousand yards. That just add yeah. that to the list of things you need if you don't have him back. Favorite Leonard Skinner song? Um, Curtis Lowe. It's a good one. Strong. Yeah. Uh, Give Me Three Steps. Good one. The yep. bar in Jacksonville is still there, by the way. Really? The jug. Okay. Yeah. That's over on the west side. Uh, yeah. I'd go with Tuesday's Gone. Solid song. Anything. Poison whiskey, good deep cut off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you can tell. By the way, Jimmy, if you're not familiar, <laughs> Jacksonville, hometown of Charlie Daniels band makes reference to it. Yeah. Leonard Skinner's picking down in Jacksonville, you right? Know, they yeah. love some Leonard Skinner. So they played uh, the the now the Leonard Skinner band, right? They played the final Jacksonville concert like four years ago 
in the stadium in Jacksonville. So we had like a whole bill leading up to Skinner, and it was like Kid Rock and Charlie Daniels was still alive and still there and Jason Aldean and all this building up to Skinner. There were two lightning delays. It was like in July. <laughs> they had to clear the stadium twice. I think Skinner went on at like 1030 and played the whole deal, right? I mean, Johnny still Listen. lives. Johnny Van Zandt still lives just south of town. They're, he comes to games all the time. I mean, so those guys are around. They got Maxwell House Coffee brewing right there in Jacksonville, too, so they can keep everybody up as late as they want, That's JP. Correct. Come on, right? Yeah. JP Shadrick, Jags.com, uh, Jaguars.com or Jags.com? Jaguars.com. Jaguars.com. All right, and uh, <laughs> certainly enjoy Indianapolis. Anywhere that you want to get dinner while you're here? We had Aaron Izzy's last night. It's a good place. Uh, we got Prime, I think, tonight. Nice. Which is cool. It's- Standard fare, right? Solid. This um, is what it's all about when you come here. Yeah. Probably take and shake on your way out of town. I had that yesterday for lunch. <laughs> uh, so that was, that was a done deal. I'll probably hit the bar at uh, Elmo's at some point. So it's a good, great town. Always a fun visit here in Indianapolis. Plenty going on. It's awesome. Clearly, I think the same in Jacksonville. It's a cool town. So is your hometown of Birmingham. So appreciate it and enjoy. Uh, appreciate the time and enjoy your stay. All right. Good to see you Thank guys. You, all right, Thank JP you. Shatter, again, uh, jaguars.com. Chris Ballard going to talk. Uh, I hate to ask this live radio producing on the air. We're going to keep it here until Chris Ballard or break and come back for Chris Ballard. We'll keep it right here. Chris Ballard going to talk, should be talking in just a couple of minutes or uh, if we're on Chris Ballard time in a half an hour. So we'll see <laughs> which way that works because a lot of times those things, and I understand it, there's a lot going on here, can start just a little bit late, but we're keeping an eye on it. Now, one thing I want to let people know when we take uh, Chris Ballard at the podium here answering questions leading up to the draft, it is entirely possible because the way that these things work, Chris Ballard will be standing at a podium and he will be answering and and taking questions from the gathered media here, which would be from Indianapolis and really all around that would be covering the draft. And they are all in a scrum about 10 feet from Chris Ballard and they do not pass around an individual microphone. You know what we could do? We could take like a wireless mic, throw some elbows around, body up, and just just put one, just have a running mic to, to, around so the that crowd. we can get all the questions yeah, exactly, in, right? Exactly. And with our like, there'd be nonstop feedback or something. I, you know what I mean? Won't be able to not, get a not with our group of engineers, but I've yeah. certainly probably had that in the past, right? <laughs> but hopefully, you'll be able to tell. You know, I don't know how pertinent the questions are going to be, but you'll be able to tell what it is that he is answering. There are a lot of questions for Chris Ballard to answer, uh, not necessarily because of the way that the season went, because Anthony Richardson gives you that flexibility of being able to kind of say, look, we didn't get a true representation of who we are, but, you know, what positions are you looking towards? What positions have the most depth of where you could go? Is there, and he's going to say, because they always do, that they will look at doing best player available, right? That's always the way it works. The draft always falls exactly as they expect. I can't believe that and guy fell, best player I can't believe that guy fell That's to exactly us. He was right. exa- we were shocked that he was there. Well, what's always funny to me is you always get two things. You get that, right, which is that we, we, we just couldn't believe he was available. This is the guy that we tabbed from day one. We're ecstatic. And then that's usually followed up with the board went exactly as we expected. Well, if the board went exactly as you expected, you shouldn't be shocked that that guy fell to you, right? Like, which is it? I mean, you get a little bit of smoke and mirrors here, right? That, that, that happens all of the time. But those are the things. I do think that going into the off season, the thought was – like playmaking open space receiver and you know again pass rush again is always going to be discussed or mentioned and you kind of hate hearing that because at some point you got to roll with who you have there and start to branch elsewhere but I do know in his defense it's a difficult position 
to be able to get covered on a routine basis. I mean, it is that it, pass rush is always going to be in discussion, and there's a reason why the guys in the league that can do it are as coveted and as paid as they are. But it does feel like tight end and corner both are starting to rise a little bit as being areas of discussion for Indianapolis. Well, and not just tight end, I would also include wide receiver, right? Because this is a, I don't want to call it a crossroads season necessarily, but the conversation and the buzzwords that keep being said about Anthony Richardson is he is the quarterback. The Colts jump the line. They don't have to worry about this whole debacle of which quarterback do we take? Is it Caleb Williams? Is it Drake May? Is it Jaden Daniels? They're not playing that game anymore because they feel like they have the quarterback of the future in Anthony Richardson. And I go with you about what the Jaguars are, Jake. You mentioned that to JP. The Jaguars should be building, or the Colts should be building, a similar way the Jaguars did with Trevor Lawrence year two. Supply him with weapons to make his life and his development easier. Edge rush is just as important. I understand there are pieces of this team where there's needs, but the reason that teams around the league are able to get away with deficiencies, get away with weaknesses on their roster, is very rarely because you have the best edge rusher in the league. It's more often than not because you have the best quarterback in the league or one of the best quarterback in the leagues, and you can hide areas of weakness. The Colts think they have that. Why would you not want to make his life easier by taking a wide receiver high level if they fall, a Brock Bowers or whatever they decide to do in free agency. It just makes too much sense to me. Chris Ballard just entered into the combine area here, and I assume he is walking his way towards the podium, so it should not be long before we are hearing from the general manager of the Colts. Again, the Colts coming off a season where they uh, essentially narrowly missed the playoffs. It came down to a final game play-in between the Colts and the Houston Texans. Houston obviously winning that game. There are areas of question for the Colts, as we talked about, between their pass rush uh, at times. What are they going to do at defensive line with Grover Stewart, of course, being in a contract year? Then you have the situation with Michael Pittman. I would assume that question with the franchise tag and working on an extension for Michael Pittman would also be coming into play. Uh, And then just the areas of this draft that Chris Ballard sees or feels are of need or for that matter maybe there are areas that are dry that he will be talking about when he gets up to the podium in just a minute here Chris Ballard of course drafting Anthony Richardson a year ago it did feel like going into it they were open to any of the quarterbacks in particular where they were going to draft them a year ago but once Richardson came here and did his they, they got kind of up close and personal with him. I think they loved Stroud, and I think he really liked Stroud, but I think they saw enough from Anthony Richardson to know they were going to be safe where they were without having to move into the situation of getting Stroud. Well, that's one of the areas where, Jake, general managers are, from a legacy standpoint, decided by taking big swings like that. And the Colts finally take one with Anthony Richardson. They need to be right on this because if not, there are deeper questions to ask about what happened last year. Okay, so here is Chris Ballard at the Combine, the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts fielding questions and, and giving the and answers to said questions. The job that Jeff and his team do to get everything, it's a lot of logistical hurdles that they got to clear. They got to please a lot of different parties and also get the fundamental reason we're here um, is to evaluate players. So they do a tremendous job. All right, fire away. Here's what I tell you. We've had talks with his agent, who's really good. His agent's uh, 
been doing it a long time. He's really good at what he does. Um, we'll work hard to get a deal done. It's a tool we have. I'm not going to say we're not going to use it, but I'm not going to say we are. Hopefully we can come to an agreement and find some compromise on a deal. I mean, this is a – like you, you pay good players. Like I, I don't – you pay good players, and each team chooses to do that. I can't give you what other teams are going to do. I know what we did. We like our guy. We like Jonathan. We end up working out. No, I think our history's shown. I mean, we want to keep our guy. And plus, he's a talented guy. I mean, let's don't... I mean, this guy's a... I think you saw it as the year went on. I mean, I kind of expect... I mean, look, he's recovering from an injury, then the stressful training camp. But I thought as the season went on, you saw him getting stronger and stronger, and I thought he ended really well against Houston and had a, you know, finished a really great game. So, no. I mean, look, always the preference is to take care of your own people first. It always is first, and and yes, we did see an increase, and then I think it will be a slower increase going forward. All right, so I don't think we're going to see a thirty million jump every year. So you've got a, a plan appropriate for that. Um, it definitely gives you more room to work with everybody in the league. We're in good shape, um, but I think it gave everybody a little bit more of a parachute. So I think it's it goes both ways. We have the big jump this year, then it kind of levels out going forward over the next four or five years. I mean, look, I think every, I mean, it's a good, I mean, like it's always free agency. Everybody gets excited for that week and stamps a future Super Bowl winner off of that. And But what you're seeing is, all right, so you got free agency, you got the A-level players. Well, what happens with them? They get tagged. All right, so now you got the next level one that you end up paying A money. If there's one on the market that we think fits us, and he, and look, it takes two sides here. I mean, there's times you'll make an offer, a big offer to a player, and you just don't get him. He goes somewhere else. That's that's part of it. Um, we'll be as aggressive as we need to be and when we think we need to be. Questions about Michael Pittman Jr. here. Obviously, Chris Ballard saying, quote, you always take care of your own people first. Chris Ballard here, the GM of the Colts. No, I mean, it does, because you want to give him as much as you can to be successful, which, one, I think it, you got to make sure he's protected. I mean, like, I, I think you know my philosophy on that. You you have to make sure your quarterback, especially a young quarterback, you got to make sure he's protected. Then you want to put enough good players around him to be successful, whether that comes through free agency or the draft. I think it just each year's a little different. Um, and, you know, we kind of adjust to however it says, like, You'll have areas in free agency where there's some depth, and you'll have areas in, in the draft that are some depth. You try to offset with the areas you don't think there's much depth in free agency. I don't I, – I mean, he's explosive. 
he's explosive within himself. I think you all. I think we all saw that. Just even with the short span he was playing, he's explosive within himself. And so, look, the more good, reliable players that you can put around him, you know, the better. Number one, protect him. All right. Then number two, try to put the best players you can around him. Yeah, that's good. Um, no, really happy about where he's at. Um, he started throwing. He's on a rehab program. We're not going to, like, I mean, I lived through the last one, okay, and I learned a lot of lessons living through the last one. So, you know, forgive me for being a little cautious, but, uh, you know, and Anthony, I, mean, I know Anthony's made some statements that it's important to be ahead of schedule. Well, you know, that's – we're here to pull the reins to make sure we don't get too far ahead of schedule and we're staying with whatever the doctors are telling us. So, But he's in good shape. Um, he's throwing. He's got a good throwing program, got p- good people working with him. So I, I'm encouraged about where he's at and where he's going, and, and we'll go from there. Chris Ballard talking about, obviously, Anthony Richardson there and the tools necessary to build around him to allow growth for his young quarterback. Here's where I have a lot of faith in Shane and, and really the offensive staff. Like, they do a really good job with playing to the strengths of what a player can do. Now, of course, the more snaps you get as a player, no matter what position you play in the league, but especially quarterback, the more snaps you get, the more you can put on their plate, the more experience they have, the more success they'll have. Um, will the menu be as big early in his whether he'd played all last year? I, I can't say yay or nay because um, I leave that on the staff. But I do have a lot of confidence in them to whatever they think he does well, that's, that's what we'll do. That's a loaded question, man. No. <laughs> all of them. All of them. <laughs> I don't understand positionless. I don't. I don't quite understand that term. I mean, they got to line up somewhere. Um, the ability to kick inside and outside. I mean, I, I think you've seen that. That's not a new concept in our league. I mean, defensive ends kicking inside to play three technique on rushdowns is not a new concept. So I don't quite get the positionless part of it. Uh, the versatility of players. I do think the one area that you really have seen the game advance, especially at linebacker, where third down and playing the pass is a premium. And, I mean, it's always kind of been my thoughts anyways. And, I mean, look, when we took Darius, that was the main reason why. Third down had nothing to do with first and second down, to do with his ability to play the pass. So I don't quite understand the positionless part of it. But I think you start with the passing game. And then how do they impact the passing game and then go from there and then where you play them on passing downs? Ballard talking, Ballard talking defensively about finding athleticism that allows him to prioritize perhaps athleticism over direct position for a player and kind of debunking that particular philosophy. I, I mean, I think it's got to fall your way. I thought Kenny Moore was a really good vet player. Had a good year. Would like to have him back. We'll see how it works out in free agency. But, no, I mean, look, at they're going to live through their lumps. And that's part of it. And I thought they both advanced really well. I thought, I thought Jones, I mean, look, Jones, all he did was get out there and battle each and every week. Um, and then with Juju, it's about staying healthy. You know, Juju's got to remain healthy. 
No, I'll tell you this. So I think we went over 20, it might be 2,718 players where I think before COVID, we were at about 1,800 players. So where you're seeing, you're not seeing it shrink. You're seeing a lot more guys with six years coming into the draft, a little older player coming into the draft. Look, I always think the more a guy can play in college, the more experience he gets, the better it is. They come in more prepared. It's not the world we live in. You're going to get guys that are young, and you just deal with it either way, and you just got to have a plan to handle it, whatever the case is. So I don't, I don't necessarily think it's less players. I mean, we're looking at more players just because of the fifth and sixth years of guys staying in college. Chris Ballard talking to the media here at the Combine, talking about the challenges of evaluating players in today's era of college football with, of course, players transferring from one school to the next. Um, what I would tell you, there's some things I would probably debate with them, but I mean, we pay attention to it. I, do I, do I take it hundred percent to credence? No, no, but there'll be questions asked and we'll get feedback. And then, you know, things that we, I'll tell you this. I don't know many players that have been with us that don't want to be back. I mean, that's, that's just been my take on it for the most part. So there's always things you can get better at. There is. There's always things you can get better at. What's that? I knew. I, I left myself open for that one. <laughs> no, I'll keep that internal. Uh, I mean, look, would you love every player to come here? and compete and do everything. I mean, do everything. Absolutely. It's a chance for them to knock it out. Um, do And that way their travel schedule's less. They don't have to worry about the pro days. You'd rather them do everything. But, I mean, I think this is my 24th year in the league, and every year there's always been guys that don't work out. Now, eventually they do it on the back end. Um, look, there's, there's things. Guys are taking stances to do things a little differently. He's a very, very talented player. Um, and, you know, whatever decision a kid makes, then the club has to make that decision if they're comfortable still taking him based on what information you have. You made it. Chris Ballard there talking about Marvin Harrison Jr., who was elected not to work out at this combine. Not an unusual thing for top prospects. It's good. It's depth. Yeah, a lot of depth um, at every level, as a matter of fact. No, it's really it's strong. It's a really strong class. Um, and I think every year, I mean, I don't know if you see him as strong as this, but I compare it almost like when Pitt came. I mean, that year was really good with, you know, and Jefferson and Ayuk and Pitt. Um, then the upper part of the draft, I mean, I think uh, C.D. Lamb was in that draft. I mean, it's a it's comparable, you know. Uh, I, a couple more here. Good point. I'll tell you one of the big, and I think I told you all after the season, like losing Doolin, I mean, and I did a, and I told you all, I did a poor job, really, I mean, because we were kind of manufacturing that. You saw it with the practice squad moves up. Doolin was a huge loss. Um, I mean, just because he gives you so much, not only on special teams, but he's, his ability to play inside and outside. If you have to start him for a stretch, he can do it. Um, so that was a, you know, that was a big, and it was kind of a freak I mean, it was an ACL on grass in training camp, you know, a non-contact. So 
it's a freak deal. I, I've got to do a better job of helping um, Reggie and the offensive staff and make sure we – nothing against the players we had in there playing. You know, we just – it was a rotation all year, and that is – that's hard. That makes it really hard on the coaches. I don't blame – I blame myself for that one. Not everybody's Marvin Harrison. <laughs> Not everybody's Marvin Harrison. Yeah. Well, I guess what I would tell you is um, most of the players, you don't find many of them that when they get to us are out of shape. I think when the – I think the hardest thing, I'll tell you what, the hardest thing for the rookie, in my opinion, is like they, all right, they finish their college season, which is going longer. All right, then they get strictly into training, combine, visits, rookie camp, OTAs. I mean, it's almost an, a cycle that doesn't end until the season ends. Um, so, I mean, preparing for combine, preparing for football, they're really, at the end of the day, they're basically the same thing. I mean, they're, they're getting ready to run. Chris Ballard addressing the media here at the Combine in 2024. Eddie, that's the completion of Chris Ballard. Is that correct? Uh, here's Chris Ballard wrapping things up with the media. His adaptability, which I think y'all know I've talked a long time about. Um, his, he's a problem solver. And, I, and to watch the problem get – because as the season goes on, they get more complex. They do. Injuries, how your team's playing, figuring out who you are as a team just because of all the natural change that goes on. And then to watch him grow as a problem solver. Because, like, there's going to be weeks – and this is across the league. And I don't care if you're the Kansas City Chiefs or anybody else. You're going to have problems, and you have to be able to solve them. To watch him solve the problems this year and grow in that area was was really fun. Just let's just take the running back position. Um, I mean, he had to mix and match what we were doing with the back end of our roster at wideout. He was having to mix and match how many we dressed. I mean, to watch him understand the mechanics of game of the roster, the forty eight man on game day. Watch him help solve the problem. That was that was pretty cool to watch. And he's gonna he's just gonna continue to grow and get better at it. And it's always. Like, Shane and I get along really well. But I will tell you, my best relationships come through challenging each. It's not a, we just, no, there's some challenging going on. And you want that. You, you, like, why wouldn't you want that? That, that that's a relationship. Relationships not you both agree. So right. you both challenge. Thanks, guys. Colts local media. That is Chris Ballard of the Indianapolis Colts here at the Combine before the draft. Obviously, some of the things he touched on there, primarily Anthony Richardson talking about the areas of need in the draft, talking about his defense, Michael Pittman, and as well at the end there talking about the growth and adaptability of Shane Steichen as his head coach. We will take a quick recess. We'll come back and recap that for you, let you know some of the key things that Ballard had to say here at the NFL Combine and talk a little round ball as well on this a what is today wednesday jimmy it wednesday, wednesday edition Jake. wednesday edition querying company 93.5 and 107.5 the fan jimmy i guess the first big question for you as we're at the combine pacers pelicans tonight by the way at the field house we'll let you know if we hear news on the availability of aaron neesmith that's going to be one of the big things to watch 
for Indiana as he tries to come back from essentially what I think high ankle sprain or lower shin injury would be the best way to describe it. But the Chris Ballard press conference there, the first thing that I took away from it, and then we'll get uh, your thoughts on this, sounds to me like he, he was not shy at all about a certain player that definitely Indianapolis wants to be aggressive, and it appears by all stretch that it is going in the direction that all had assumed. I'll tell you who that is, and we will discuss with your thoughts on it next. One of our favorite surveys that takes place each year is out, and that is the survey of NFL players of worst franchises to play for. Always fun. We'll get to a highlight of that in just a moment. Uh, Chris Ballard saying the following as he just met with the local media. Quote, we'll work hard. His agent is really good. You pay good players. I don't know what other teams are going to do, but you take care of your own people first. We want to keep our guy. End quote. Those comments about Michael Pittman Jr. And... There was nothing that was said or insinuated by Chris Ballard there to offer any indication other than, at the very least, he's going to be tagged. But I think they're probably going to come to a deal with him. Yeah, no, I I love that. Look, I'll be the first person to be critical regarding Chris Ballard. I like the openness. There's no ambiguity about what they want to do with Michael Pittman Jr. I appreciate a clear commitment on that stage that is Michael Pittman Jr. is one of our own. He's a homegrown talent. I'm paraphrasing and adding my own commentary at this point, Jake, but he's your best weapon on offense, not name Anthony Richardson, and I'm sure on his best days, maybe Jonathan Taylor would like a word, but you get my point. In the passing game, you cannot afford to handcuff your star shiny toy in Anthony Richardson without top weapons around him. Michael Pittman Jr. fits that bill internally. It makes all the sense in the world. It was the layup of all layups going into this offseason and the clear commitment no vagueness, no, <laughs> that's a loaded question. There's none of that. He's just honest and open about the fact that Michael Pittman Jr., he went, even went as far as to say he anticipates Michael Pittman Jr. will be with the Colts in September. Ergo, they're going to do everything, tag, extension, you name it, to make sure he is still with Anthony Richardson in year two of the Richardson era. I thought it was interesting as well that when he was discussing defensive players, he was pretty adamant about an almost like borderline a defensive, pardon the pun, about, look, I'm not a guy that goes out and just gets athletes and try to, tries to put them anywhere on the field. I don't believe in positionless. Guys have definitive places where they need to play, and that's what we go after when we draft guys to fill exact voids. I, I tend to agree with what he's saying um, in the fact that you, you don't go out and get a guy just because he's, you know, the last guy, do you remember T.J. Green? T.J. Green was a a safety slash corner. They tried to play him at both spots that they took because they're like, well, he can play anywhere on the field. He's positionless. He's a freak athlete. Uh, You know, Hunter Perea was a freak athlete (laughs) at Indiana, and everybody said he was going to be a great basketball player once he learned how to catch a basketball. You know what I mean? Like, you got to have you got to have some skill set. The other nugget from his comments, and I don't have a feel about this, Jake. One way or the other, maybe you do. Other than Chris Ballard is responsible. We can say whatever we want about him and, oh, he should take a big swing on a free agent. I've pounded the drum on that. He should go get a big weapon at wideout, this free agency. He addressed something that was probably in the back of everybody's mind, but maybe not at the front like it should be for a general manager, which is, yes, the cap just jumped. 
Yes, it gives you a little bit more money to spend, but you can't bank, even though the NFL is printing money, that every year it's going to be as big of a jump as it was. Right. Which to me translates to just because they now have a little bit of extra capital to work with this year doesn't mean they're now all of a sudden going to be aggressive. I think they should be. I think they should take that big swing in free agency. But that said, there is a level of balance of knowing if you take the swing and miss, you might not get bailed out by another cap increase next year. That's a forward-thinking general manager understanding that this is just the ebbs and flows of the rich over rich over rich league that the NFL is. By the way, I'm going to name for you, Jimmy Cook, the rundown and critique of an NFL franchise from a player standpoint, and I want you to tell you, I want me, excuse me, I want you to tell me what team I'm talking about. By the way, if you try to cherry pick with the Chiefs with me, I already know that it was not great. So if that's the goal of this exercise, I would pick another team. So every year, teams are asked about, the players are asked about playing for a team and the stuff, you know, just in terms of basically the diva nature of how great it is or how bad it is to play for a specific franchise. The comments made about a particular NFL franchise from the players in talking about the cafeteria food available inside the facility. Okay? An improvement from last year, the team decided to offer dinner to players once a week on Wednesdays. <laughs> Keep in mind, they're in the facility. Like for you know, most franchises, I know like when I was covering the Rams, we actually had our own entry and exit card for Rams Park. It was unbelievable. But and they and we would eat like once a week with the team. We'd eat the lunch. But they had an entire food service, you know, and obviously it's the highest level nutritional stuff for the players in terms of everything from protein to, you know, everything like all across the board. This team ranks 30th overall in the taste of the food provided. They rank 31st in food freshness. I don't know if they were, like, checking the dates on the, the, the Lunchables <laughs> they, they were getting. They got an F from the health department. Yeah, they just exactly. came in and did a random exactly. test. <laughs> they only provide three meals a day on Wednesdays. They are one of just two teams that do not provide three meals a day throughout the week. So most you get, like, a breakfast, lunch, and a dinner because you're there basically all day. They do not open their cafeteria on their off day, even though players are coming in for extra work on that day. Because you go in, you get treatment, you get taken care of. Sorry, you got to step out and go to Wendy's, right? The players simply want what most other teams have, three meals a day and a cafeteria to be open and operating on the off days. They were given by the players an F- in food and facilities. That organization, of course, is Jimmy... Uh, the commanders. The notoriously cheap. Anthony Calhoun, who just walked by, must be working for this team because he looks like he's lost a bunch of weight. Anthony looks like he's fit as a fiddle. Probably because he's not eating three meals a day because he plays for this team. What was your guess? My guess was the commanders. The notoriously cheap franchise. Joel A. Erickson of the Indianapolis Star has just walked up. Second guess would have been Raiders. I'm going to give Joel A. Erickson his chance to win a fabulous prize, which might involve a shirtless Milwaukee Brewers shirt or some more fun (laughs) facts about serial killers from his hometown, which will lead to a maniacal laugh if he can answer the question of Joel, the franchise in the National Football League that is notoriously cheap and is they received an F minus 
in terms of their food preparation. So all of the all of the players in every team were surveyed, and they were asked about like you know what it's like and you know the food that, that's given to them, etc., etc., etc. And this particular team came basically dead last, and they got an F minus because players said they can't even eat three meals a day when they're in the facility, and the food is rarely fresh. What notoriously cheap franchise, which I don't even believe has an indoor practice facility, am I talking about? The and if we can get Joel mic'd up here, that would be wonderful. Your answer is the Cincinnati Bengals. The Cincinnati Bengals is indeed the correct answer. I'm hoping that we might have you say it a fourth time, so that once we get your mic working, you can say it correctly. Um, your Cincinnati Bengals is indeed correct. Joel A. Erickson, Indianapolis Star, joining us on site. Your overall thoughts from Chris Ballard's comments? Um, well, I, right there at the end, uh, Mike Chappell just deserves a lot of credit for pinning him down and getting getting him to say Michael Pittman Jr. is going to be here uh, no matter what, whether they have to tag him, whatever, whether it's a long-term extension. I believe the quote was like, you, you keep your guy, right? We keep our guy. Well, the, the one in the one in the off the podium session with just the local guys, it was, uh, I can't remember exactly how Chap asked it, but he, it's, it was, will he be here in September, essentially? And Ballard just said yes. You know, he, he didn't say the mechanism or how it's going to work, but Pittman is going to be here. So, that, I mean, that's really the, the, the biggest, by far the biggest question for them going into free agency, and now it's, it's off the table. Did like it surprise you how clear he was with that, like how honest and open? Because that, that made me, like, happy is maybe not the right word, but I appreciated him being that clear about it. I, I was a little surprised, but I also think... I also he kind of he kind of there was a kind of a, a fun little repartee back and forth with with Chap where he was just kind of like you kind of got me like you kind of pinned me down in a spot where he, he said like he rewarded the question essentially uh, but I thought kind of before that he had already hinted like that they're going to do did he that. Gave this, did he give the same maniacal laugh that you've given before? <laughs> Chris Chris doesn't have, well, he, his, he doesn't have, like, the uh, the high-pitched laugh. But he's got that little kind of, like, hey, 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 thing. That's a little, he's got a very fake laugh. Yeah, he's got that one. He doesn't usually, have the high-pitched usually, laugh. Usually it immediately follows, that's a loaded question. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's pretty good. It, right? Yeah. Uh, it's pretty much dead on, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he did shave, though. He did shave, no beard. I I noticed that. I wanted to say something to him. Ryan Grigson has a beard him. now. You notice that Ryan Grigson grew the beard out. Uh, has he always had a beard? I don't know. If I he has. I never covered Ryan, so I don't okay. like. I'm not well, the beard aware has. of his facial hair. <laughs> the beard has. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, but Chris still going with the flat brim hat. The flat brim hat. Yes. I I so I'm a I'm a curved bill hat guy because I think there's a head shape thing to that. Like you have to have a certain kind of head shape to wear the flat bill. I I also think, and I hate saying this because I I was. And I still at times am in this crowd, but I have said before on the air that I want to thank Chris Ballard, and I'll thank him if, I mean, if he comes on the show, I would say to him, I want to thank you because I didn't realize over 50 how kind of weird the flat brim look is <laughs> until I saw him wearing it. And, and now, and I, you know what I mean? He kind, of, he kind of looks like Sugar Ray. And so I just decided that it's best to know your limitations. The flat brim, so the flat brim. He's a good looking guy and he's in better shape than I. The flat brim at some point became the dominant hat. To the point that, like, you're, there are certain styles of hat 
you can only get in the flat brim. There's no right. There's nothing for us curved brim people, and I don't understand that. It does not look right on my head. It looks like the like if I wear a flat brim, it looks I mean, like part the of that's because you're over twenty, right? I mean, let's pr- be real. Part of right? it, yes. Yeah. But I think the other part is like I don't have I don't have a beard. I don't have like a super. Um, I shouldn't say like I don't want to say round because it makes sounds like I'm saying making a weight thing. But some people have rounder faces, and I think the flat brim. You don't looks have a flat brim them. chin. That's the problem, right? <laughs> like my brother has a huge beard, and so the flat brim looks good on him because it's it's like it just sets up it like whereas with mine like Is it just looks like Amish? it's coming out no <laughs> okay <laughs> i didn't know up there in wisconsin you know what i mean dairy farmer you were dairy farmer right we were a dairy we were dairy farming yes uh, but josh is in fishers now he's he's, he's right here oh, so, so he farms here okay <laughs> well so let's speaking of dairy farmers let's milk what was said by chris ballard um the Pittman thing i thought was the big storyline that he, mm-hmm. he there was no bones about the fact that that he, look he's going to be here right yeah um i thought he also what was interesting to me was he he kind of tipped the hand a little bit about what I think is an increased probability in round one, and that is more offensive weapons for Anthony Richardson. Yeah, I thought I thought um, he sort of there was kind of two answers, especially with wide receiver, that maybe maybe bumped up what I thought he was going to do at that position in the draft more. There, the first one was where he said uh, he compared this class to Pittman's class, which was just full of starting caliber wide receivers and just saying that the depth was there. And then I asked him about just the fact that they essentially only had three receivers play last year. And they got lucky in that they essentially didn't miss, they missed one game. It was just the Pittman concussion game. And his answer to that was um, sort of the thing that a lot of Colts fans have heard him do over the years where he said, that was on me. I didn't give them enough. He's, he said a lot about Ashton Doolin and like not having that, that experience there. But he also said, it's on me. We had to rotate a lot of guys through there. He was acknowledging the need. And then he's acknowledging the depth in the class. The wide receiver spot there, he, we asked him about tight end once, we, once he moved off the podium, and he wasn't quite as hinty with that one, but... That but, oftentimes means you can read into that. Well, right? that's, that's the other thing is, like, at, at tight end, I think there's one guy, and everybody who wants him should be hiding their cards because, like, you want him to drop. Yeah. He had mentioned as well that relationships between coach and general manager are never yay kumbaya there's always a little give and take and that's part of a healthy dynamic in a front office do you envision with where they slot it could be a wide receiver falls or brock bowers falls or they go edge or corner do you think because shane steichen is an offensive minded guy that there will inevitably be that type of back and forth between them come draft day of no i want an offensive weapon no we need to get gus bradley a weapon on defense or do you think there'll be a, a solid front by then that's a really good question because i don't know that we know and, and co- head coaches are better at, at hiding their hands on this than general managers because it just looks worse if the head coach says i want things um but steichen one of the things that i came away that from the end of the season thinking with steichen was that he's more involved in the defense than we realize we kind of talk about him as this offensive mind, but like some of the stuff with the way they played and, you know, back and coverage and trying to limit the explosives and all that stuff. My general read on it towards the end of the season was Steichen was more behind that than maybe we realized. And that makes me wonder about like his views on defense. Like Ballard even said in his, in his January press conference, Shane Steichen sees everything, sees offense, sees defense, sees all of that. And it, so that makes me wonder, especially with the first round, like, is there something that he's going, okay, we were 28th in scoring defense last year. I, I want this 
so that the so that our defense is better because I he I think I think we like I said we talk about him as an offensive mind but my sense at the end of the season was maybe he's more involved on defense than than we sort of talk about do you get the impression Joel A. Erickson of the Indianapolis Stars our guest we are at the NFL Combine in the Convention Center uh, Chris Ballard spoke oh, I don't know, some 45 minutes ago or so, kind of going over what the Colts forecasting may be what they may do. Did you get the impression that if there is a dynamic one that is intriguing enough to him that in the first round, if the Colts draft where they are sitting, that they could go cornerback? Yes. I Yeah. I, and I don't know that we would have said that a month ago, or am I naive there? I, I have thought for a while that – like for all of the stuff he said about the young guys, he keeps mentioning, you know, he, he's very, he's been very effusive in his praise of Jalen Jones. He keeps mentioning that Brents was hurt a lot last year, and obviously they've been through some Achilles tendons, like Dallas Flowers has. And I, I asked him, you know, you've got some of these spots where you got a bunch of young guys. Do you add like? And he said you always try to add. I, I just kind of get the sense that. Some of these spots that were pretty thin last year, I think that the, the thinking has probably changed in terms of we kind of know what we need now. We know what we've got with Shane. And, and I, think, I think that, that maybe, I think it maybe opens up the first round. I think that there's a lot more possibilities there than maybe we're talking about just because he feels like there's some depth, not necessarily like top-line depth, but like developing depth. And we've seen him go both ways with that in the past. I was going to say, is this another year where we see the famous trade down? I think that's possible. Yeah, I think that's possible because corner, at least my understanding of the corner position right now, kind of feels like a spot where there's no like clear, obvious guy. And then like wide receiver and tight end, there's like a clear top group that could all be gone by that point. And that kind of makes me wonder, like, is that is that where he starts thinking, hey, we can pick up picks? Where I would like to see Chris Ballard change, and I know this is a big wish because what are the odds of as tenured as he is, him changing what he does philosophically, but take a big swing for a second weapon in free agency and not be afraid to because he's so good at finding cheaper guys and turning them into valuable pieces. Like, he's shown he can do that. Go out and pay top level for a top level piece. He mentioned in the middle of that presser, though, the acknowledgement that just because the cap jumped doesn't mean they can go, you know, supermarket sweep, so to speak, and go spend like crazy because there's no guarantee it's going to jump the same way next year. His comments on the cap, did that reveal anything to you about them staying status quo in terms of philosophy on spending? He didn't say this, but this is my read on the cap going up just from listening to GMs yesterday. Uh, It gave a lot of teams life on guys that they thought they were going to have to get rid of people who are not in the Colts cap situation who thought that maybe they'd have to make cuts like they can keep guys because the cap shot up further than they thought they people would. closer to the cap that were not a lot of dollars to spend yeah yeah so if they can keep their guys that means there's less guys on the free agent market which almost has me wondering like Ballard doesn't like to pay for lower like is this going to be a really watered-down free agent class by the time we get there? Just because teams all of a sudden have all this money to spend, to, they don't have to keep to, their guys, right? To, yeah. And that's what they're going to do generally. Like, we've been seeing that with free agency for a while now. The top guys, like everyone you're seeing on the lists right now, and top guys in free agents, like eight of them, eight of the top twenty are gone in the next week or so. I, I think we might see that a lot because their teams are going to go, hey, we've got extra money to play with that we didn't know was coming. Joel A. Erickson, our guest, we're at the Combine. Um, Joel, I like to call this basically like 
summer chapter for or like like winter chapter, off season chapter for NFL teams. It's just a bunch of guys with lanyards walking around going, "Hey, coach, you good? You good, coach? You good, see you, coach." And then they have like steak dinners, and then as I mentioned, they take pictures with Eddie White, and everybody goes home. Right? Um, what's the most important element of this exercise, if you will? The combine in general. Yeah, it's the medical. It's 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 there's there's decisions that get made in the draft every year where one team has decided that some body part on a player is not going to work out going forward and so he's off their board and we don't realize that and all all, all that stuff kind of happens here um sometimes now, now there's allow me to ask this because i and maybe you don't know the answer either i don't mean to put you in a bad spot but mri let, let's say that there is a defensive edge rusher out of you know, whatever, state you, okay? And a team looks at it and says, the way this guy's lining up, he just really is favoring that left side. And I've got serious concerns. They haven't said anything, but he looks to me like he's got a rotator cuff problem. Do they themselves request that he go get an MRI, or does every player go through it and then every team gets access to it? So, so that's a good question. I, I don't know for sure if it's like a full body scan for everybody, but I do know that that individual teams doctors are over there and get to look at like after they do whatever the the general is they get to look at specific body parts um and i also know that there's some general stuff because like a good example i can use is nick fairley because this happened already but like he had a heart thing when he went through the combine that the nfl decided was okay and then when i was covering the saints they re-signed him only to discover that something had gone wrong with his heart problem and he never played again Right. You know, and there are players that Eddie White mentioned this earlier, which is a good point. There have been not a lot, but there have been players that have come through the combine and they've discovered, you know, like a heart issue that they did not know before. And that turns out to be like, whoa, like this might have saved this guy that they now know about. You know, well, Ma- I myocarditis mean, or something like that. Montez, Montez Sweat a couple years ago, where I guess it's not a couple years ago now. He's he's going into free agency, but like uh, that was he was supposed to be the best pass rusher in the draft that year, and he dropped, I think, all the way to 26. And part of it was a heart issue that they discovered at the combine that has not turned out to be something. But it, right. I think I think for some teams, depending on how your doctors view that it can be a bigger thing than people realize. And they, no one's going to come out after the draft and be like, well, we didn't pick that guy because we have a medical grade on him. But it, it happens. Like, it's part of this this whole thing. And then the, the secondary thing that's going on is all these teams are meeting with agents and setting up what's going to happen in free agency. Right. I mean, I, I would imagine that's the case, right? Yeah. A lot of That's the number two thing that's going on. A lot here. of, like, backhanded deals or promises or winks and that kind of you thing. You mean they're not just drinking at St. Elmo's? There's they actual stuff well. going they on? They do that as well. <laughs> right. I, I, I do know of one coach, no names mentioned, that uh, I know one coach that no, that apparently got hammered one year and it got a little bit ugly. And then I know my favorite story was at one of the prominent restaurants in town. Daniel Snyder insisted on smoking a cigar. They said it's non-smoking. He said, do you know who I am? Um, and again, I go back to no. if you have to tell people who you are, you aren't. <laughs> and he said, they said, well, sir, you know, everybody in the room here knows it's a non-smoking restaurant. And he said, well, fine, I'll pay the bill for everybody in the restaurant. He did so. He then continued to light a cigar. And they said, we already told you this once. Thank you for paying for everybody's bill, but you're out of here. And they escorted him out of the restaurant. <laughs> and that probably is largely maybe that's part of the reason why the owner of the Indianapolis Colts spoke up and made him force, his, uh, force him to sell his team. 
So that should tell you who it that's is, a right? Great, that's a fantastic that's story. Right. So he, he's a guy that will pay your bill and um, is no longer the commander of his franchise. <laughs> educate and entertain, Joel. That's educate what we do here, Joel. Right there. We don't educate at all. The kids over here in Jacksonville are asleep, as a matter of fact. But we entertain, I'll tell you that much, right? These guys are like, wait a minute. I thought we were coming here to get Elmo's and listen to Leonard Skinner. Instead, of we got some jackass next to us telling stories about Daniel Snyder. <laughs> I said his name now. All right, we'll come back. NFL Combine, you're listening to Aquarian Company. Back here at the NFL Combine, Chris Ballard just spoke an hour ago. Reaction with that from myself, Jake, and Joel A. Erickson. Podcast will be up. Just search Aquarian Company wherever you get your podcasts. We're joined now, one of our regulars throughout the NFL season. You know him on the IU Radio Network as well as his work for NFL Network. It's Rhett Lewis, but this time in person, Rhett. Great to see you. Great to see you guys uh, here live and in color. And, uh, you know, nice uh, nice to be always be back in the, uh, in the Hoosier State. Got a chance to spend some time down in Bloomington uh, this morning, so uh, all is good for me. I'm, I'm getting ready for the long haul here, though. I'm here through Monday, so ready to rock and roll. Well, you were actually did you get a chance to go see the Hoosiers last night? I didn't, unfortunately. You uh, know, you didn't pull the fire alarm. Well, I, I didn't, um, and I, I don't know that I'm allowed back in Assembly Hall. I think they've lost like six straight games with me in attendance. <laughs> so, you know, Red, I hate to say this to you, that doesn't put you in exclusive company. <laughs> that's, anyway, that's true. Say, this year's right? been tough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no <laughs> doubt. That's called a season ticket holder, actually. Um, Let's begin with this, actually, before we get to the combine. Just your thoughts now on, you know, Kurt Signetti's group. You were able to kind of be around just the mood and the atmosphere. Um, Your overall impressions? You know, um, I I think what Kurt did is he put together a much improved roster and a really good group of assistant coaches, particularly at the coordinator level. Um, uh, Tino Sinceri, Mike Shanahan, Brian Haynes, um, you know, that group is is really sharp. And, you know, Brian obviously has a lot of uh, familiarity with Kurt from being with him a couple of different times, including at JMU. Obviously, the offensive coordinators, Shanahan and Sinceri, both with him at, at JMU as well. That continuity, I think, is big in terms of packaging the message. Um, but man, I think these guys are, the way that I would characterize them in the coaching profession is rising stars like these dudes are i mean just really sharp football minds when you look at kurt signetti and coming from james madison and maybe we don't know the answer to this yet yeah but he has won a lot of games at, at, at multiple schools is that because of fundamental scheme and just in precision of out scheming people or is he bringing in a talent level that is exceeding the competition at that level in other words one of them immediately transfers perhaps yeah the other one is a challenge at a school like indiana within the big 10 yeah i think i think it's a it's a really good question jake and i I think the um the answer might sound like a cop-out and i don't don't want it to but i i do think that there is a healthy balance there and i think that there is there's an idea of scheme right that has proven tried and true and then he understands the type of player that they need to make that thing sing. And when you have those two things really marry together and you're not switching up offensive schemes from year to year to year to year to year, you know, which unfortunately has been a part of the program at IU the last the last few, I think that's that's some of the thing, you know, one of the things that I think could really pay early dividends is to have everybody rowing the, you know, the boat in the same way. Excuse big, me, PJ Flack. Big I was picture. Say, yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. We're getting our signals crossed. Big picture, big ten. Yeah. yeah. Will the arrival of USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington be immediate? Yeah. 
Like, will, they, will their presence on the conference be immediate? Well, I don't – it's hard to say. There's so much turnover there, right? I mean, uh, you know, you USA – Washington. Like, yeah. you're not getting the Washington you thought you were getting, you're not right? getting No, hell no. You're not getting the, the – I mean, the team that's going to come into Bloomington next year, right? And, I mean, like, quarterback's going to look different. Obviously, scheme's going to look different. Coaching staff, the whole thing. Same thing for UCLA. When we go out yeah. to Pasadena – you know, brand new quarterback, brand new head coach, yeah. which I didn't necessarily expect. But um, I think there's still a little bit of a uncertainty about what that's all going to look like right away. I think you're going to expect the talent level, you know, at a USC um, and then at or- Oregon, I think is the one that's going to feel immediate. That's a damn good team. Yeah. And that's and they've been good for. You know, 10, yeah. 15 years now, right? Yeah, like, I mean, ever, repeat, since, right? ever since, you know, my 2003 Indiana Hoosiers went up to Austin and beat them, they've well, really... They, and they were that was the a turning last, point, actually. Was, hey, not, they, weren't they the last, isn't Indiana... The last uh, Big the Ten last team to beat non, them? Is it, was it Big Ten or last non-Pac-12? Maybe that's what it right? was, yeah. yeah to Non-conference beat win, yeah. yeah, to win there. Um, Let's go. But what is the, what's yeah. the storyline of this combine? What's the buzz? What's the the big narrative going in well it, it coming in it's been about the quarterbacks now unfortunately that narrative has turned to well which of the quarterbacks is going to throw right and we right. know now that uh, the top guys are not going to really do it but i think the thing that intrigues me and it has some some hoosier state ties is like does michael Penix give us a cj stroud-esque workout from a year ago like cj stroud put together arguably the best qb throwing workout that we have seen at the combine in some I think Penix has absolutely has that ability to shine in this setting, right? Nobody in his face. Go out there and let that arm absolutely rip it. I think he's got the I think he's got the best arm talent, like pure arm talent. How much do the knees hurt him though? Well, that's the thing. It's like for as good as he'll be in the throwing portion, I got no idea what the medical group is going to say about him, and that's probably the biggest piece of his evaluation in this combine. Man, you feel bad for the kid because it, it literally, at, at all levels, Rhett, that's been the one thing that's held him back, right? Except he's been healthy for two years. Now, the lasting image, unfortunately, you have of him is him well, like, that's clutching his ribs correct. as he's coming off. A, a decade ago, Rhett Lewis is yeah. our guest of NFL Network. A decade ago, what would the reaction have been nationally and among scouts if a top wideout like Marvin Harrison Jr. was not active around the combine? And the fact yeah. that he's not this week, from your prism, does it give any wiggle room for Aroma Dunze or Malik Neighbors to maybe rise up boards because of that? Well, I think what, what's happening here is we're talking about three top eight picks. Yeah, so, right. It's relative. <laughs> yeah, it's sure. all relative. I certainly understand the question. Um, I, I still think Marvin Harrison is the first wide receiver off the board. I love that Roma Dunze is going to compete, unless that's changed in the last 12 hours and I, and I missed it. But I lo- that, that tells you a little bit about what that dude's about. Like, that's a that's a competitive son of a gun now. Yeah. Like, I love watching him play. Man, he is tough. He can be physical. Uh, and he's, he can be silky smooth, too. And, like, you just don't see a lot of that combination of player. I think neighbors is just scratching the surface really right i think he's got so much more that he could he can unlock i think there's some technical stuff that he could get better at in terms of route craft he's he can win on athleticism right and that and and now he's got some you know some craft to his game but i think you know you get him in a good system with a, with a really good group of offensive coaches and man that dude's gonna take is off. route running the hardest thing in a prospect to realize if it's going to translate or if it, there's room for growth I, I think um i think you can tell when you see a guy that's refined mm-hmm. you can tell right you're like that we're gonna that dude's gonna make it like whether he runs a you know four five nine or a four three nine yeah. like 
I got to we're going to find a way for that dude to win um, on game days in the NFL. I, I think um, I think it's one of those things that can take a receiver to the next level. Like you could see, like all right, he's got great athleticism. Now let's coach his let's coach his ass up here and see where it, see where it really takes us. Brett Lewis is our guest. Of course, you can hear him doing Indiana football games, also talking about the NFL Draft, NFL Network, NFL.com, several places where you see his work. Rhett, the the gap between the college game mm-hmm. and the NFL game is the least translatable at which position. Which position, when you look at a college tape, mm-hmm. do you say, you know, quarterback, obviously the chasm's huge, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it, what's the position where – a jump out on tape at the college level is most immediately transferable to plug the and play. Yeah, um, I, I think what we've seen right now is it's it, it's so funny because ten years ago it was probably the opposite, but it's the wide receiver spot. Yeah. Like we're finding ways to more creative ways to use receivers skill sets in certain in, in different fashions with different teams and play callers like I remember t- you know 10 years ago you draft a receiver in the first round it's like oh well you know maybe in year two we'll get an impact out of this guy you know but that just I think it was like the it's like the Odell Beckham year um, things really started to shift and you started to see that now they were outliers right like a Calvin Johnson is an outlier to that basically any guy yeah. out of LSU that's no con- like <laughs> that's immediate right right right, right. that's a good one um, but yeah I think um, I think you can I mean edge rusher I think you yeah, that's a plug and play type of situation because you can you can use them situationally because of what's happening with look look at this past year's Super Bowl Jake brought this up earlier it's a lot of weapons on San Francisco but it's George Kittle it's Travis Kelsey it's do-it-all tight ends being a framework piece around top level franchises last year was an incredible tight end draft class in terms of what was there are we seeing now for teams I don't want to call it a renaissance but Mm -hmm. a resurgence on the value of a do-it-all tight end versus just a couple of guys that can both do things well? Yeah, um, you know, I think... I think like a guy, like thinking back to a TJ Hawkinson, you know, who was a beast in the run game. And we haven't even really seen, you know, that piece of his game as much as I thought we would at the, at the you know, at the NFL level. Is like, you know, the, the way he dominated in the run blocking. And then obviously he was a terrific pass catcher, which he's been now for the Vikings since they traded for him. Um, I, I look at... Um, I look at a couple of guys in this class that I think are really intriguing. Obviously, Bowers. Like, whoever gets Bowers, you're going to have a 10-year. It's the biggest Colts rumor right now, right? Yeah. Where they're slotted. And where that's right around. I mean, doesn't it? it, Although, doesn't it feel, though, Rhett, like Bowers out of Georgia, the tight end, doesn't it feel like he's a guy that everybody's going to slot at 15 and then all of a sudden he's going to go off the board at 7 and everybody's going to go, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, shoot, the Chargers could take him at 5, you know, if they don't, um, if they don't, you know, if the top two receivers, you know, are gone or whatever. Um, I um, Bowers definitely feels like a, a potential Colt there uh, for sure. But like beyond that group, beyond Bowers, like once you get into day two and day three, um, a guy like Dallin Holker from Colorado State is a guy that's really intriguing as bit more of a uh, of a pass catcher, but I mean, Colts have plenty of those, right? I mean, Moali and Jelani Woods and Will Mallory. And I guess the question though is, do they? It feels like, like they have a bit you know, of guys. That here's what I, here's what I yeah. think, and you tell me if you think it's yeah. off base. I think the Colts have four, serv- well, three now yeah. serviceable tight ends, yeah. but they don't have any in-space playmaking type. Maybe not a game-changer type of player yeah, where, yeah. where you're dictating coverage and where right. defenses are spending time trying yeah. to figure out how to deal with them. Um, yeah, I, it, that, I think that's probably fair. Um, and then, you know, 
I, I think Holker is a player like that. Really impressed me at the East West Shrine Bowl. Got to watch like a, as a day three guy, like who did not get a lot of buzz. In fact, I'd be shocked if anybody here really knew who the hell he was. Tip Ryman from Illinois, uh, six foot five, two hundred seventy pounds, like big dude. But his athleticism, I think, is really going to catch people off guard uh, at the combine. You think he'd be the first tip in NFL history? <laughs> I don't know, man. Go back to the 30s. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Tip Henderson down the sideline. He goes by, by gratuity is his purpose. Yes. 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 Uh, by the way, funny story on, on Holker. He... Um, He's married. Um, he transferred from BYU to Colorado State. He caught more passes than he tied in college football this year. Um, but his wife, he and his, his wife is a track athlete at Colorado State. And so they would hop the fence to the Colorado State football facility, and she'd run the jugs machine for him at like 10 o'clock at night, and he'd catch like 200 balls. Wow. Well, hey, cool. commitment, right? Practice makes perfect, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's, trespassing and whatever. That's the kind of yeah. that's the kind of couple you need, yeah, right? Yeah, that's it. Nothing so, wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the Rhett Lewis is our guest, yeah. and the, the combine is what we're talking about. Um, do you feel like now in today's day, maybe more so than than even ten years ago, fifteen years ago, that the combine is perhaps more where a guy comes simply to cement his lot as opposed to. Like, at this point, don't we kind of know everything other than health about a guy? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. But I, I'd also say, you know, when, when guys do burn up the turf out here and they, you know, blaze some time, that's, that's incredible. I think it does. It does. I was just talking to Tom Telesco uh, of the Raiders. And uh, you guys obviously Former know well from guy, Andy. Yep. yep. Um, and, I mean, like, he's like, I still love watching the receivers run. Like, I still love watching the corners run. Like, how fast are they going to go? Like, that still kind of revs me up a little bit. So, like, it's not all for show. Like, I mean, it's, it, is a, it is a useful tool. Um, but, I, but, yeah, I mean, like, they're not doing their jobs if they don't have, you know, a firm idea of who these players are based off their college tape from the last two, if not more, years. It's all but fun yeah. in games until you take a Darius Hayward Bay and then all of a sudden those, those, those 40 <laughs> times was, don't matter. Who was the other one? Uh, who was the kid I think Cincinnati took? That was like ran John the fast, Ross. That's it. Ran the fastest Mr. 40. Yeah. Yeah. And and then you found out the other half of that is you got to catch the ball once it comes. Well, to you, right? yeah, you do. And you got to try not to pull a hammy too while you do it. Um, and that was uh, the other challenge Bruce for him. Bruce Campbell sure. from Maryland was like a ridiculously athletic offensive lineman who the Raiders also ended up taking. Yeah. <laughs> There's a track record there. Yeah. Those 40 Cle- times. Cleveland Farrell looks great yeah, on tape. Cleveland the Raiders Farrell. took him yeah. fourth, and yeah. it was like holy cow. And then yeah, yeah you see what happens, yeah. right? And he was a Clemson guy. And I was a big Clemson guy. Oh. Is there an undervalued spot of this draft right Under, now? As it stands? Undervalued. Well, um, like one that that because we know what the sexy positions are, but there a spot where yeah, there's real value. I mean, the, ta- the ta- offensive tackles are incredible um, in terms of teams need them, and there's all. There, I mean, there might be seven or eight of them going to first round. Like that, that is a big time, uh, big time group there. I think, and then the receivers are loaded. Yeah, um, receivers, and it's a great year to really try to improve your offense. Now the running back group. I don't know. But okay, what, what's so running back? You mentioned yeah. what's a position of need in the league? Yeah, that if there's a team that has a, a a decent pick in the first round, but they are completely They're in trouble there. because well because the area of need for them is the weakest in this draft. That yeah, that's be, a, that's a tough one. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. That, I don't know. That there's a team that needs a running back right i mean like you figure out ways to find that group um especially in in today's league um i would say um 
the safety group is is yeah. a little tough to evaluate. I mean, like we saw this develop during the All Star Game season. And like they were, I feel like the the guys who put the games on were so thankful that they were allowed to have underclassmen this year. And that's really where you saw the bulk of the underclassmen that went to All Star games were safeties. Like they needed the the junior safeties to get into the game to get a, a better look because the the safety class just didn't have that top end talent. Brett, appreciate you making yeah. time for us as always. Yeah. Looking Pleasure, forward man. to more chads yeah, uh, throughout the NFL season. Now, what are we drinking here? Oh, it's my kombucha, man. I just had to get that get that gut savory gone. peach kombucha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. Okay, organic yeah. as well, well which of is important, right? Yeah. The, you're a West Coast guy, right? <laughs> Isn't that right? That is. Yeah. That is. I, well, I'm here for seven days, so I just had to. I literally just went to the grocery well, here's store. Here's the important thing: immunity, because I don't know if you've See? seen it or not. Right? A lot of these guys walking around here bathing, not a high priority. <laughs> so the immunity thing. That is smart play right See, there, on, brother man. man. I yep. got you. I That's got a you. veteran move Pleasure. right there. That's Pleasure, Brett dudes. Lewis of the NFL Network, and always appreciate it, Rhett. Appreciate it. Uh, Jimmy, you got some picks coming back? Of course, always do. All right, and Pacers Pels, we'll mention that as well. And try to find out the latest on Aaron Neesmith. We'll do it on the other side. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's plays of the day, college hoops in the NBA is the mix. We'll scoop seven and a half on Auburn as the Tigers go to Tennessee to take on the Volunteers. Also in college basketball, lay the 14 on App State. They're 22-5 and five on the season, 17-11 against the spread. They're home against Old Dominion. In the NBA, I'll take the Dallas Mavericks on the money line over the Toronto Raptors and buy low at this opportunity. It's our usual bet. Tyrese Halliburton, 30 and a half is the number, points plus assists. We'll go over tonight as the Pacers take the Pelicans. And speaking of that game, game Doug McDermott with a sore calf is out Aaron Neesmith is now listed as questionable for the game if he is not able to go Benedict Matherin likely to slide into the starting lineup again for Indiana it's another opportunity for him to back up what he said at media availability after his season high performance which was he needs to be better on the defensive end another shot in the starting lineup another opportunity for him to back that up and show growth and we'll see if he can carry them from a scoring standpoint like he did last game out but obviously in a losing effort against the toronto raptors jmb is here looks no doug mcdermott tonight that's right wow that's too bad i was grown accustomed (laughs) to watching him shoot and miss so much that's been fun (laughs) you're going tonight right i'm going yeah all right yeah uh, what do you got lined up for the big program I have not today, a clue, John? man. Some nerd in here is going to come by and sit down, I guess. I just don't know who. We'll find out So you have, happens. Are you cynical about this like I am? Not at all. I love it. <laughs> I love every second of it. Did yeah. you not hear the commercial? I talk it up. I love it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, love it. It's good. Janae Coakley's here. It's officially Combine Week. <laughs> I do like her. She's good. Janae's a, how long are you here, Janae? How long am I? Well, like last year, you came to the Combine for one day and left. Are you here like for the rest of the week? Your flight today's leaving at six. This That's happens smart. every year. Every year <laughs> I see today, and I'm like, "Hey, come on, we got something in common." I'm one day. Talk, I'm one day only too. Because so yes, we, we wanted we wanted to just talk about Aaron Rodgers for three and a half hours, which is what I'm sure she wants to do. <laughs> Janae Coakley, former Wish TV star, and now of course covering she's SNY, awesome. the New York Jets. She is, she awesome. is the best. All right, so John, are you going to the game next. tonight? Hang on, Janae. I'm, I'm done right now. I am going to the game tonight, yes. <laughs> I, me too. I know people love it when we're talking to people off to the side and they can't hear the conversation. I know. I'll be there as well just to join in. Hey, who pulled the fire alarm last night? Does anybody know? Uh, There's so got to be a video of that. Kids smoking in the elevator. 
Was it really? <laughs> That's what I heard. Smoking. Wasn't it really a kid smoking in the I elevator? I heard smoking in the elevator, and every every person I grew up with was like, yeah, my kids told me people were smoking weed. I'm so like, I don't know So when do they that. play next? Because somebody's going to yank that thing the next time they play, right? <laughs> Got to get that momentum swing going. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. I was joking when I said they're a dumpster fire. Eddie's yelling at us, John. So we're going to hang it off Eddie, to you. Take it easy. All right, J&B's up next. Thanks for listening, everybody.